Good evening, good evening, good evening. Hope you're doing well, everybody. 8th of July, 2015. I like to sprinkle the date in every now and then. And uh, I guess like Moroccan cooking. So I hope you're having a great, great night. Looking forward to our show this evening. Looking forward to talking with you, my favorite people in the whole world who are not my friends or direct blood relations, the listeners. Freedomainradio.com slash donate to help out with the show to submit your fiat currency in the fight against fiat currency. Yes, it's ironic and hopefully it will work well. So far, it has been doing so with your support. Freedomainradio.com slash donate. I hope you're having a wonderful evening. Mike, let's see if we can make anybody's evening even more wonderful. All right. Well, up first today is Jacob. Jacob wrote in and said, My sister is emotionally dependent on me due to her mental disabilities and a recent family tragedy. My wife feels like my priorities have shifted towards my sister, thus not giving her the attention she wants slash needs. I feel lost and stuck between two competing worlds, both of which I don't want to neglect, that of my sister and maintaining slash building a solid foundation between my wife and I. My wife and I plan to have children prior to this situation, but that's been whole been put on hold temporarily. How can I strike a balance between these two worlds without compromising my sanity? That's from Jacob. And he also mentioned that apparently things have been getting better between him and his wife as of late since he wrote in the question, but that remains the topic. That is a very, very interesting question, and uh, I really appreciate you bringing it up. Jacob, are you on the air, on the line? Hey, Stefan, can you hear me? I can. Perfect. So uh, do you, do you want to throw me a little backstory here, or should we plunge straight in? What's your preference? Well, first of all, I just uh, wanted to start off by saying this. Uh, the start of this year has been really rough on me, personally. Um, the only family I've known since I was five was uh, my mom and sister. And she passed away this April. Mm. And... Uh, it's been really rough on me emotionally, to say the right. least. Was it a, a long passage uh, or sudden? or? No, it was uh, about eight months or so. Right. I'm sorry to hear that. That is a, a, a brutal and grueling experience to go through. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very sorry for that. that is a, it has an impact crater that's pretty big in the heart, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for that, Stefan. Sure. All right. So what's wrong with your sister? Well, uh, ever since I could remember, my sister has had uh, certain mental issues in her life. Um, some of my earliest memories of my sister, she, she was always uh, avoidant of other people. She She didn't really... She wasn't able to connect with anyone. And uh, around the age of 12, she was uh, diagnosed with social anxiety disorder and uh, major depressive disorder as well. Are you older? No, five years younger. So you don't know, at least you didn't experience directly, obviously, the, the genesis of her personality? No, no. Okay, so she's 12, she's got anxiety and major depressive disorder, a social anxiety and major depressive, major depressive disorder, right? That's right, yes. Was there something that occurred 
that drove this diagnosis, or was it part of an ongoing process of attempted treatment? Uh, well, I have, I kind of have sort of my own theories as to what happened to my sister. Um, we, we grew up in an abusive household when my dad mm-hmm. was around and, uh, she was really attached to my dad. Uh, he was a huge part of her life growing up and he left when she was 10 evaporated and never bothered to make contact since. Uh, right. So since that time, I, I kind of remember a, a change in her and it kind of started around that time when he left. Right. So the precipitating incident to the diagnosis in your view was the departure of your father. Yes. Yeah. And that, and, and the fact that we had no, uh, support, uh, outside of our family, there's no, no other family ties or relatives we could turn to as well. Why not? Um, it's kind of a long story, but, uh, I'll try to keep it short. Um, we, I was born in a, a post-communist country and, uh, there's kind of a mass exodus, and uh, right. okay. uh, my mom and my dad at the time decided that Canada would be a good choice for our future in terms of opportunities and uh, things like that. Right. Okay. All right. So we came. In what way we, was, we came uh, sorry, the, sorry, intro, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say just the four of us came to, came to Canada with, with no relatives or family, just, just the four of us. And then two but, weeks But after, a community, right? I mean, unless you're hailing from Alpha Centauri, there would be some like-cultured or like-minded people around, right? Yes. Actually, we lived in a kind of like a commune situation in Austria for two years. Th- two to three Wait, years. You fled communism to live in a commune. <laughs> right. It wasn't. Sorry. Okay. It was, I'm trying to, trying to follow that, but I'm, that's I'm doing my they, best. That's kind of what they called it back back in Europe. It was it was more like um, kind of like a hostel for refugees, right. kind of thing. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. Um, and we met this woman there, and she came to Canada before us, and and she somewhat sponsored us, and we ended up living with her when we got to Canada. Right. Okay. In what way uh, was your father abusive? Um, well, he he left when I was five. So the, the memories I do have of my father were mostly uh, uh, I don't I don't really have any good memories of him. Let's just put it that way. He was he was uh, verbally abusive towards my mom. Uh, physically abusive towards my mom, myself, and my sister. Um, he had a drinking problem as well, and uh, I, I could remember being being spanked by him multiple times, and um, he w- he would hit me with various objects and. I saw him beat my mom severely one time when I was a kid. I still remember it to this day. Right. So it it it, it was a very toxic uh, relationship. 
so uh, physically violent, and of course you have filled out your adverse childhood experience score, uh, and uh, that's nine, right? So that's, you know, other than directly being hit by apparently navigated asteroid, uh, it's about as bad as it can be for you, right? Yeah, yeah, to be honest, uh, Stefan, when I filled out the the a- ACE test, I was a little shocked and surprised to see my score because e- even though all these things have happened to me in my life, it almost feels like it didn't happen. It was almost like it's a dream. Um, well, because for you, I mean, you had five years less of it than your sister, right? That's right, yeah. And so, I mean, a lot of people can't remember a lot before they were five. It doesn't, obviously doesn't mean it doesn't affect them, but the, the more direct stuff that you had with your father around, you said he basically vanished, right? That's right. Right. So, you, you know, when you were five, uh, he vanishes. Your sister gets five more years uh, of this brutal experience, and um, so it would be I mean, more, more tra- all the more traumatizing for her, right? That's right. And, and I feel... I a five-year prison sentence and a 10-year prison sentence, right? Oh, absolutely. And, and I feel many of her problems stem from that early yeah. experience in her life. Right. Right. I mean, well, I see, mean, but she, no, no, hang on, hang on. No, I, I, but I, I need to... Um, uh, I have to... We have to really work for precision when it comes to causality with people. Because um, you had problems in your life as well. I had problems in my life. Uh, other people I know have had problems with their, in, in their life. And that's not how we all turn out. I don't know the degree to which there's genetics, there's epigenetics. I like to think there's some free will in there as well, some choice in there as well. But we cannot with certainty state that your sister's state of mind has emerged from the problems that she experienced as a child, because that would be very deterministic, right? No, no, absolutely. You're, you're right about that. Uh, I just, I, even though it's not, I, I, I feel like it's not 100% the cause. I feel like it's a, it's a significant portion of it. It's necessary. I, in, in terms of adult trauma, that kind of childhood trauma is necessary, but it's not sufficient in and of itself, right? Yeah, you know, like yeah. if, 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 if I shoot a bullet into someone, then I'm definitely causal in that injury, right? That's not, that's not, that's not a genetic thing, right? Uh, that's, but but this, the, the bullet of a childhood, uh, of an abusive childhood, is, is not the same. Because with some people, uh, there's almost always a wound, but there's not always debilitation, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I kind of take myself as an example. I, I didn't really develop those same kind of mental barriers that my sister did. Right. And and again, we don't know the reason for that. Uh, I tend to, as much as humanly possible, err on the side of choice rather than genetics. Uh, well, I fully recognize, like I just put out part two of the gene wars and the bomb and the brain stuff talks a lot about genetics and epigenetics. So there are susceptibilities to particular kinds of traumas that seem to have genetic bases. But I, you know, until there's something really conclusive, and I doubt that there ever will be because there's so many variables in the human condition, I just like, I generally have a prejudice 
because it's better to be prejudicial, prejudicial this way to, to err on the side of choice. Um, and so, and the reason I'm sort of pausing on this is that um, you have, uh, you kind of got the gynocentric free pass thing going on a little bit here. And I want to sort of pause and, and just challenge that before we go on. Okay. Um, your, your mother's willpower in, in this or her choices in this uh, have been absent. Um, I, I was struggling with this idea uh, up until the day of her death, actually. And I had a conversation with her about this very topic probably uh, two months before she passed away. It was the first time I've ever brought it up. Uh, it was the first time we ever had a conversation about it. And uh, she... She was in complete denial mm -hmm. about her responsibility in the situation. She she felt she did the best that she could for us. Right. And she felt insult, in, insulted that I even uh, brought it up. So she felt that um, there was no possibility that she could have attracted and married and had children with a non-violent, non-alcoholic, non-abusive man. Like that just happened to her. There, there was no alternative. There was no choice. And when the abuse began, she was completely helpless to take any action uh, to, to minimize or reduce the amount of abuse that you guys were exposed to. Um, she was uh, a, a victim in, in all of this. That, that's, that was my mom's mentality, yes. Right. And I, um, I completely opposed her perspective on that because she was informing I, I would argue she was informing your narrative in talking to me yeah right and I, it's not a criticism because this is so ingrained in us this idea of the female get out of jail free card they're victims and, and all that and obviously your father was a I hate to put it this way, but was sort of the more dramatic abuser, right? Because he was the drunk, he was the guy beating up people, he was the one hitting the kids with belts and stuff. So he was the um, overt abuser. Yeah, I, I should mention my mom was abusive as well. Um, Let's talk a bit about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, my, my mom, well, ever since I can remember... Uh, she she was physically abusive towards my sister and I. Um, up until I was probably 12 years of age. 12 or 13. Well, when you got bigger, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And in and, and what ways did her physical abuse manifest? Um, mostly it was, uh, spanking with, with a belt right. and, um, mostly just kind of putting us down, making us feel like, uh, like we weren't, 
I don't know, like we weren't living up to our standards. Yeah, the old joke, like the beatings will continue until morale improves, right? That's right, yeah. So, I mean, in some ways, she was a fairly nasty piece of work as well, right? Yeah, even though, Stefan, like, there there are moments in my life that I, I could remember in my childhood where she was very caring and loving and uh, supportive. And then, and then there was this other side of her that was abusive and cold and distant. And it, it was just, it was very confusing to me as, as a child to, you know, one day I would, I would get a beating and then the next day she would, uh, she would give me advice on certain things. Yeah. And I mean, I, I get that and I've certainly experienced that myself. I'm just going to give you a tiny rant here. This is just my perspective or opinion, not nothing that I can particularly prove. But that, to me, comes down to laziness. Because your mother clearly knew how to be nice, right? Yep. And the fact that uh, it just really depended on how she felt That's that's all. It just it only depended. How did you feel? How did you feel that day? Did you feel like being nice, or did you feel like not being nice? That's what she would say. Do I feel like being nice? Or I'll just go with how I feel, right? Yeah. And that to me is incredibly lazy and incredibly hypocritical. Let me ask you a question, my friend. If you, if your mother said, "Do the dishes," and you said, "I don't really feel like doing the dishes today," what would she say? Well, there would be one of two outcomes. Either she would verbally scorn me or she would would spank me. Right. So you weren't allowed to, on a whim, not do things or do things. Right? You had to have discipline to do things, even and especially when you didn't feel like doing them, right? That's right. So, so... Your mother has this standard, and maybe your father did too, which is, well, it doesn't matter if you don't feel like doing it. You have to do it anyway. You have to have discipline, right? Yeah. Right. You don't clear your table from the dishes. Uh, sorry, do you, sorry, you don't clear your dishes from the table. You don't get to say, ah, yeah, I don't feel like doing it today. Uh, maybe I'll do it tomorrow. It's like, I don't care what you feel or, feel or don't feel like doing. You damn well pick up your dishes from the table and put them in the kitchen, right? And so your mother fully understood the need for discipline in pursuing good behavior, right? And it doesn't matter if you don't feel like doing it. And yet when it came to being nice to her children, or at least not abusive towards her children, you know, arguably a little bit more important than doing the dishes or clearing your dinnerware from the table, she was entirely self-indulgent. I feel like being nice today, so I'm going to be nice. I feel like hitting someone today, so I'm just going to hit someone, right? Yeah. Entirely whim-driven, lazy-ass parenting. And a standard which would never be accepted from a seven-year-old who doesn't feel like clearing his table, right? Self-indulgence. Self-indulgence of mood. 
self-indulgence of whim. Her brutality, I believe, fundamentally, is lazy. No. Have the discipline to be nice, even if you don't feel like it. In fact, what, what's the point of discipline if it's never supposed to contradict anything you feel? <laughs> it's like I have, a, I have this wonderful diet plan. It's called eat whatever tastes good in the moment. It's like, I don't think that's a diet plan. I think that's the default position of human beings and just about every other living animal. You need discipline to do the things that you don't feel like doing in the moment, right? And so there is a horrifying and very hypocritical degree of self-indulgence in abuse. And I say this in particular about your mother because she knew how to be nice, right? Oh, my mother knew how to be nice as well. I mean, she'd be screaming at us, right? The phone would ring and she'd think it's some guy she wanted to date. She'd be like, hi! She's all sweet and sugar, butter wouldn't melt in her mouth and so on, right? But she was just screaming at us. The phone rings, it's somebody she wants to impress. In other words, it's somebody she thinks has power over her, has something that she needs. And she changes. Changes. She knew exactly how to stop her abuse. She knew exactly how to be nice. Just didn't, didn't care to. People say to me, ah, oh, why don't you see your mom? It's like, well, she's got all these guys who used to phone her. They can go and see her because they were very, very important to her. Right? They, they were the people that she was willing to change her mood and not be abusive towards. So she can call them up because they were infinitely more important to her than I was, because she'd be screaming at and hitting at me. Phone would ring, she'd be like, hi, hi, great to hear from you. How are you? Instantly, the mood switches off. She's sugar and spice, and all things nice. <laughs> and, uh, you know, her priorities were pretty clear. In fact, they were completely clear. And so... Uh, those guys from 40 years ago, she called them up because they were the important people in her life. Not, uh, not me. So that, that's why I sort of want to point out this, this, you know, when people can be nice but aren't, they have actually more responsibility for it than if they never were nice, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that, I can completely relate to that, Stefan. So, how do things manifest with your with your sister, Jacob? What what happens? That is, uh... um, so in uh, in high school, she she didn't have any friends. She never really had any friends. Um, she, she, as a matter of fact, she never spoke up in class, never, never said anything, uh, to the point where the teachers thought she had, uh, a severe learning disability. So they put her in uh, special ed. Is that because she just wouldn't answer? Like, I mean, even when they'd ask her questions, she just wouldn't say anything. She just mutter or. That's right. And kids right. would. Uh, be very harsh and bully her 
Uh, Did, was there anything unusual or off-putting about her appearance at the time? No, no. Right. They just they sense shyness and uh, they, uh, you know, in the usual way that kids do, they ah weakness attack. Right. Yeah, that's right. She she would uh, most days she would eat her lunch in the bathroom stall because she didn't want to be seen by anyone. And uh, that's a, that is a pretty rough place to eat lunch if it smelt anything like the one in my high school. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. And um, most of her high school career what was like that. And uh, after high school, after she finished high school, which was about at the age of 20. Uh, I'm sorry, just repeat that last sentence again. Just cut out for a second. Uh, she, she finished high school at the age of 20. Right. And after high school, she didn't do anything. Uh, she, she, uh, she went on disability. Uh, for the mental issues? Yes. Uh. I mean, throughout high school, she was on uh, many different antidepressants, Zoloft, Paxil, uh, you name it. Oh, man. So she, you know, might have fried the circuitry a tad, right? Yeah, it's especially at that age, too. I mean, she was really young when she started taking those medications. Right. Now, with um, uh, I, I, you, you weren't in on all of this stuff, of course, because you were very young, but do you know anything or, or the degree to which your, uh, your sister's diagnosis included any kind of exploration of familial dysfunction? Uh, not, not to my knowledge. Right. Yeah. Cause you know, I mean, it's much better to th put on hard drugs rather than examine the family environment that is producing this kind of crippled entity or is a significant factor in it. Right. Yeah. I, I remember one time she mentioned to, uh, a high school, high school counselor. Um, this is one of the few times she ever spoke up in high school that my mom was an alcoholic which wasn't true at all. She, my mom was was never a drinker, but for How some reason, uh, because I've never, I've never seen her with a drink in her hand, and I've never smelled alcohol on her. I've never seen but, her. Uh, How old was your sister when this? Um, when she said this, that was around uh, grade twelve. She, she was about fourteen or so. Right. Okay. I mean, yeah, because it could have been happening when you were much younger, right? Yeah. And the school actually spoke to my mom. They they had to go. They had to do a whole investigation into the matter. And uh, my sister retracted what she said earlier and said she just made it up, and my nothing came of it. Right. Right. When your father left, uh, he, he, he did, like you don't even know if he's still alive, or did, did anything ever? Did he ever boomerang back? Or um, this is kind of a crazy story, but about three years ago, um, he somehow found my mom's number, house number, and she called. Uh, my dad called her and and asked to speak with me. With um, you, not your sister. With both of us. Uh, oh, okay. He spoke with my sister and and me as well. 
and this was three years ago. So, so that was, uh, Oh, I don't know. What was that? 23, 23 years or so without seeing or talking to him. Yeah. What did he need? Um, the, it, it was a very quick conversation. He just asked me a bunch of empty questions. <laughs> How are things? How's life? How's... Yeah. It, yeah, that kind of stuff. Exactly. And um, a year after that, I actually met him in person. And um, that that was very revealing to me meeting him go on revealing how well he within within 10 minutes of of uh, us meeting for the first time uh he took me to his house and he started pouring us shots and within an hour we were both drunk right and um so that was a huge red flag to me. I, I kind of, I was very nervous and emotional, so I felt like the shots helped. <laughs> sure. Well, and if you say no to the alcoholic who wants you to drink with them, you know, they get all kinds of George Thorogood on you, right? I mean, uh, they are not, uh, not pleased. Yeah. And, uh, Anyways, the next day he offered to drive me to the train station, and we spent the whole day together. Um, and I asked him some really tough questions. I asked him, why did you leave us? Why did you not try to reach out to us? What happened between you and mom? Um... I told him I was really pissed off about what happened and that it wasn't fair to my sister and I. I assume he didn't send any money either. Is is that? No, we never got a penny from him Um, throughout all those years. We never, we never received anything. So my mom yeah, my mom had to take care of us. I mean, we, we lived with, with that woman for the first 10 years in Canada. Yeah. So, so yeah, so she kind of, uh, the both of them supported us financially. And my dad wasn't in the picture financially. What did your father say when you asked him about all this, what the hell was happened kind of stuff? Um, this, is, this is the part where I was completely unimpressed and it just kind of really revealed to me his character. Um, the question about why he split up with my mom, he blamed it on the fact that she wasn't affectionate enough towards him. Wait, the woman he beat was not affectionate enough towards him. That's right. The woman, the woman where he, he broke her arm and knocked her teeth out and hospitalized her is the same man that said my mom didn't give her enough affection that's why he left her yeah yeah beatings will continue until blowjobs are volunteered right yeah 
and and he even threw out this ludicrous notion that my mom was a lesbian and she was sleeping with the woman we were living with which uh-huh. I, I completely not true i not one hint of that sort of behavior from my mom so well i mean even if it was true i mean hey, even if it was true, no excuse to beat anyone up and be what the hell does that have to do with his relationship with you guys or his need to provide support to the children that he fathered exactly and then and then Right after he answered that, I'm like, well, well, forget mom for a moment. What about us? And the answer he gave me was that he was too young, too naive, and too immature to take that kind of responsibility on in his life in that time. Well, how old was he when he left you guys? Um, let me think. He was... Twenty-nine. Oh, so he no, had no, you. No, no, twenty-six. Went... I think twenty-six or something like that. When he left. Yeah. But are you saying that he had oh, your no. sister when sorry, he was sixteen? No, no, no. Sorry, my mistake. My mistake. Okay. Because <laughs> otherwise, <laughs> no, okay, that's sister... a little bit of an argument for the immaturity, right? Yeah. No. Sorry, my sister was. Okay, my sister was 10 when he left, so that he he was 24 when he had my sister, so he was 34 when he left. Okay, okay, so. Not, Sorry, uh, that, the, the math was. Not exactly a babe in the woods, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so there are all of these incapacity arguments, right? I was too immature. I was too naive. Oh, God, I can't tell you. Jacob, that stuff just pisses me off. Incapacity. I was. I was too immature. I was too naive. I was too young. I was right. Come on, come on, come on. Incapacity arguments are so pathetic. Are so pathetic. You know, there's no definition of naive that includes beats people up. Like, you, you see a man beating up his wife, knocking her teeth out, breaking his arm, as you say, putting her in the hospital. Nobody looks at a guy beating up his wife and says, wow, he's really naive. Right? What you say is, what an evil son of a bitch. Yeah. That is the initiation of force. That is the brutal face wrecking of the mother of your children. That is brutally abusive to the wife and to the children who hear or see or know of this. I mean, what would have been more honest would be to say, I was downright evil. That, that's honestly, someone, that, that was the, the answer I was looking for from him. Yeah. But uh, no, it's like, oh, I, I, I was too short. I, I was too, um, I, my, my bones were too, br- I just, incapacity. I had one squinty eye. I, I had a freckle. I just, I, incapacity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because uh, nothing says nothing says naive and, and immature like uh, beating people up. Naive and immature is I gave my bank account to a Nigerian scam artist over the email. Yeah, okay. Not I knocked my wife's teeth out. And, and it externalizes things because now there's no choice involved, right? It wasn't like I made bad choices. It's just... I was unformed. I was clay waiting for a molder's hands. 
things happened to me. I wasn't ready. I, ugh, there's no choice in any of that, right? I mean, it's like, okay, so and let's say that he did feel this way, right? I was, uh, I was not ready for this kind of commitment, right? Uh, I was not ready for this. Well, okay, you had 10 years. Well, you had 11 since you knew you were going to have a kid at some point before you had then just bing, <laughs> pop up like a, a balloon on a helium tank. So you had 10 years to do something, to get ready for this, to, to grow up, to become less naive, whatever the hell that means. The question then becomes, Dad, what did you do to fix it? Okay, you were too naive. Okay, how did you get unnaive? You were too immature. What steps did you take to become more mature? Yeah, the argument from incapacity is uh, it's an invitation to a pity party that could conceivably be thrown by some, but not by the victims, right? Oh, hello? Yep. Are you still on? Okay. Yep. Are you okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. It's just I, I'm recalling the moment, uh, and everything you're saying right now, Stefan, is, is exactly the the way I felt like he was just making excuses and, and I just, I got filled with such rage. And would you have been allowed these excuses, Jacob, when you were a kid? Oh, not even, not even a fraction. I, I'm not ready to mow the lawn. I feel too young. I feel too naive to clean my room. I feel, I feel too immature to, to, to wash the floor. <laughs> What would they say? Well, there wouldn't be many words said. It would just be... No. Yeah. Shut up and do it. Or else. So, yeah. I mean, this argument from incapacity. uh, You know, it's an old rule. My college roommate who went on to get two doctorates and is about as brilliant a guy as I've ever known. We lived in the same room. (laughs) together um it taught me the strategy is this i don't know if this is still the case but certainly 25 odd years ago when i was going to uh university he said uh it's pretty established that the best strategy in life is to treat other people the best you can when you first meet them and after that you treat them as they treat you and i I do this Uh, this is my this is my standard. I te- treat people like in the calls, right? I treat people the very best I can when I first are encountering them. And after that, I treat them as they treat me. Taking the high road just allows people to punch you in the groin. <laughs> I'm taking the high road. Uh, okay. <laughs> so now I just get a nut shot. So, um, and, and so with my parents, right? It's like, okay, well, I'm, I, I treat them as they treated me. I'm not going to have a higher standard than those around me at all. Now, if he's, oh, well, you're just surrendering yourself to the standards of those around you. It's like, nope. (laughs) No, I'm not. Guy comes at me with a gun, I'm going to shoot him. 
Oh, you're just lowering your... Nope. Just staying alive. Now, the best thing, of course, you don't want people in your life that you have to lower your standards to be around. That's sort of my... The, the, the sort of inevitable result of that is like, okay, you treat people the best you can, and after that, you treat them the way they treat you. If they continue to treat you well, you continue to treat them well. If they treat you badly, you don't... I, I don't, and people, this is confusing to people. Like, I say, oh, you got to have these abstract standards that you just pursue independent of your environment. Bullshit. Bullshit. That's like saying you have to keep swimming when you get to land. No. <laughs> you get to land, you stop swimming, and you start walking because you're in a different environment. Of course, you adapt to the circumstances, right? Uh, it's like. <laughs> You know, you're going to a restaurant and you want to order mac and cheese and they're out of mac and cheese, so you have to starve to death. <laughs> no, you just adapt and adjust yourself to the circumstances. But uh, there's this predatory mechanism around virtuous people that says, well, you, you just have to, uh, you have to pursue these uh, abstract standards of high idealism and perfection no matter what. It's like, why the fuck would I want to surrender any advantage to the evil people? You know, if, if you go into a boxing ring and, and people are boxing by the rules, then stay boxing by the rules. If they start punching you in the groin, okay. <laughs> That's what we're going to do then. I just don't understand why you, why you wouldn't adapt your, your tactics to the people around you. Oh, Steph, in this particular instance, he didn't fulfill the highest expectations of this that he ran. <laughs> right? And it's like, no. Look at what is occurring in the environment. You know, there's nothing that makes good people more impotent than saying that they must always take the high road. Because they take the high road into nothingness and evil takes the world. You take the high road, good person. I'll just scoop up the entire planet and all of its inhabitants. And you enjoy that little platonic high world that you're in. I'll just take everything else. Bullshit. Bullshit. Good people adapt to circumstances and they do not have higher standards than those they're dealing with. Good is not a computer program that you must follow no matter what. You know, like one of those robots that's trying to navigate its way through a door and it gets confused and starts walking into the wall and just keeps walking into the wall. <laughs> it's like, nope, you hit the wall, you turn <laughs> and you try and find, you know, you get up in the middle of the night to go for a pee. And you kind of feel your way along like some, like some, some jellyfish or some, some octopus trying to find a fish in a coral reef crevice. You feel your way along. And uh, this idea that, uh, ah, but you must never do this and you must never do that. And it's like, nope, 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 nope. Someone steals my bike, got to steal it back. That's a violation of property rights. Why are you talking to me, not the guy who stole my bike? I don't know. So just you know, when your parents have all these standards for you and accept no excuses from you for completely innocuous things like cleaning your room, making your bed, uh, clearing your dishes. I'm just guessing. Could have been any number of things, right? But when your parents have these absolutely brutal rules that you as a six or seven or eight-year-old are not allowed under any circumstances to shirk those rules and duties and you will be severely punished if you even try... And then when you confront them on the immoralities that were inflicted upon you, they get all relativistic and all excusey and this and that and the other. It's like, oh, God, that's stomach turning. At least be at least be consistently evil. At least be proud of your evil. Don't, don't turn away into this mealy-mouthed, 
apology, weak person argument from incapacity weasel. You know, just, you know, be Sauron. Be, be some grand, striking, strident evil. Right? Don't, don't fade into this pathetic, whining, excuse-laden, gross person. Just be, uh, I don't know. It is, this, the, the weaselness of it is, to me, the most stomach-turning. Because uh, it's confusing, right? And of course, it's designed to be confusing, right? When you're a child, I'm going to beat you up. Oh, are you bigger now? Okay, then I'm going to go to verbally abusive. Oh, have you achieved adulthood and don't have to spend time with me? Okay, now I'm going to pretend nothing happened and uh, be weasley and uh, 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 hypocritical and uh, 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 slimy and manipulative. And it's like, ugh, God, just stay, stay the same damn shape. <laughs> because that's, whole, that's the strategy. Sorry, that was a bit of a bit of a sidebar, but uh, I hope that makes some sense. So let's get back to your sister, right? So your sister has been on disability now for what, fifteen years? Yeah, um, no more than that. Um, she's been on disability. Sorry, yeah, fifteen years. Sorry, yeah, that's right, fifteen years. Good. Ever since she graduated, yeah, that's on, on. Okay, and so she's not going to do anything with her life, right? No. Right. That I mean that. Do, uh, tell me if I'm wrong. I mean, she no. she didn't see any she didn't see any reason to not go on disability when she was twenty. It sure as hell isn't going to be any different when she's thirty five, right? In fact, she's got thirty five years of being on disability and not having a job and not developing skills and not going out and challenging her fears and not 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 right. That's right. Has she remained on uh, SSRIs or antidepressants or anything like that? Well, um, around the age of 25, she started getting uh, these episodes of schizophrenia. And it turned into something uh, very scary. Eventually, they institutionalized her in a kind of like... Very scary, do you mean like psychotic breaks or something like that? Yes, Yes, like to to the point where she was walking around the house at 3 a.m. with a knife in her hand saying she's going to kill someone. Okay, so that's not good. No, no, it's not good. And, and uh, the house being which house? Her house? Your house? Uh, <laughs> well, at that time, my my sister, my mom, and I moved into... Uh, this guy's house that my mom met. She was kind of dating oh, him. Right. And we moved into his house, and he had three sons that lived in the house as well. Uh huh. How old were the sons? Uh, 20. Uh, in old, right? Not like babies, right? Now. Yeah, there, there was like a 20 year old, an 18 year old, and a 14 year old. And do you think anything untoward may have happened between the sons and your sister? No, the sons were very hostile towards us. They they didn't really want us living in, in their house. Uh-huh. And I could completely understand why. I mean, the situation was somewhat unfair to them. You're not answering my question, right? I know. <laughs> you can say you don't know. I mean, I'm I'm just and you can say you don't want to answer, but 
yeah, just like, don't pretend I didn't ask a question, right? Yeah, like like he they would say stuff like, I don't want these damn people in our house. Why the why the hell did dad let them in? And and my sister would be with an earshot of this, so she would hear yeah. them saying this kind of stuff. Do you think that there was any sexual abuse that may have occurred from the brothers towards your sister? Not that I'm aware of. Right. Okay. All right. And um, how long were you there for? Not long. Um, probably not a full year. Just under a year. Right. And then what happened? Did they break up or were you kicked out or did she leave off her own accord? Or No, my mom decided to, to move out because of the, because uh, of my sister. Because she was wandering around with a knife in the middle of the night. That's right. Wanted to kill someone? That's right. And, and the, the moments of sanity she did have or clarity, some clarity. She's, my sister kept telling my mom she didn't want to live there and she wanted to, to get away. And, and she probably said this for about a year, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. But your mom didn't. No. Until. Right. Okay. Okay. And um, and so then, I, I mean, I almost don't need the rest of the details. I mean, I'm almost interested in every single person's every single day. But uh, obviously, that's a long chat. So um, where, where is she living now? So right after my mom passed away, we, we actually... We were fortunate. Well, I don't know if fortunate is the right word, but we we found a support house that deals with people that have uh, mental issues. Mm -hmm. And she's in kind of a like a housing situation that supports these kind of people. And sorry, I want, want just one thing, Jacob, I wanted to ask, which I forgot to ask earlier, um, just before we move into this uh, section. Um, did, did you have a relationship? Of, of any significance with your sister when she was uh, younger? Did you guys get along? Did you talk at all? I mean, uh, unfortunately, no. I I didn't have a strong connection with my sister. Well, I I don't know about. I mean, any connection? I mean, I know any is a bit relative, and and so on. I'm not trying to sort of corner you into absolutes that are probably inappropriate given the complexity of the situation, but, uh, she wasn't mean to you or anything, right? She was just like a ghost. No, no, she was, um, once she finished high school, she turned very mean, aggressive. Uh, she wasn't before. She, she was, but not to that extent. Okay. Well, how was she aggressive to you before? Uh, she would throw things at me. She would, uh, like, for instance, we had one TV in the house, and if I was watching TV, she'd say, "Get the get the hell out of here." And she'd say, "Get the what?" Oh, there was almost another word that came in there. <laughs> I heard say, it. Get the fuck out of here. And and uh, how old were you when she would tell you to get the fuck out of here? Um, I was probably in grade six or seven, in elementary school. Okay, so she's telling a kid, sort of 11 or 12, whose father just left. And she wants to watch TV, get the fuck out of here, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, th this is just one... That's not very nice, right? No, it's not very nice. There, there's multiple... 
like it's it's almost crazy to say this, but she would throw these insane temper tantrums for no no particular reason whatsoever. Um, she would just explode into these crazy episodes, yelling and screaming at the top of her lungs. And what was she yelling and screaming about? Uh, mostly at my mother. She would she would say, you know, you bitch, you didn't do this for me. You didn't do that for me. Um, she would yell about our living situation. She would. She would yell if there wasn't enough food in the fridge. She would, you know, stuff like that. It's kind of bitchy, right? I mean, fair, like, fair. I, I, again, I'm no doctor or psychiatrist, but my understanding is that these um, mind-altering drugs can have some side effects that in, can include increased aggression. I don't know what she was on. It doesn't really matter. One possibility, but uh, she's probably kind of freaking out because she got that she was having no life and wasn't likely to get one, right? But she had anger against your mom and, you know, with some reason for sure, right? Yeah, it, it was, it was, it's a very complex stew of many different variables. But you didn't particularly like her, I would assume, when no. you were a child. No, I, I did not. I You wouldn't be like, uh, hey, sister's home, run down to give her a hug, right? You'd be like, oh, God, right? Oh, oh, no, yeah, exactly. I, I didn't even want to be in the same house as my sister. Because she would she blow up. Vicious, uh, she she would a, blow... Yeah, she had a vicious streak as well, right? Could be dangerous. Yeah, she would blow up without warning, and I didn't know when it was coming or how severe it would be. Right. Commend you and your courage in getting married. <laughs> well, Stefan, I can honestly say it's been it's been a long road to get to this point. Right? No, I'm just saying. I mean, you have every excuse to say, "Chicks be crazy," <laughs> right? I mean, so yeah. Oh, um, and, okay. And, and so just just, just yeah, even no, seven, seven years ago, I, that was my mentality. Right. Is is uh, I was just out of control. With my interactions with with women, right, right, okay. So, um, so now she really doesn't have any life. She's not likely to get one. Uh, what is her? How's her temper and her mood and her volatility at the moment? Well, for the last uh, five years or so, she's she's on a pretty heavy antipsychotic medication. Right. So, ninety nine percent of the time, she's she's not even there. Um, right. She's completely like just staring at the wall, out. kind of stuff. Yes, exactly. Wow, I'm so sorry, God. Oh man, that's just oh, Jacob, that's just brutal. And and is that, I mean, I don't know if you've spoken to her psychiatrist or whatever, but is that sort of the plan, that, that for the next 50 years she's just going to watch paint dry? Well, they, they, they kind of decreased her dosage over these last two years. Mm. So, so she's not, I mean, she'll communicate with you, but it'll, it's every time she, she says anything to you, it's always, um, 
always she's always complaining about her situation or what does she say that it's the issue with her situation oh she'll say something like uh i hate being here um i hear is where oh at this home right yes at this home i hate being here or why me um i hate the people that live in this house uh, things like that. Right. But uh, I, I assume that uh, she's not uh, not exactly taking a bunch of steps to uh, change or improve the situation, right? Well, I, I was pleasantly surprised when... Because when, the house she's living in currently has a bunch of social workers that try to help these women out. Mm-hmm. And they recently signed her up for some ESL classes. So right. she's currently taking some ESL classes, which which I think is is a positive step. Right. So she doesn't speak English. Um. So ever since ever since high school, even in high school, she never really spoke with people that much um she confined herself to a room watching television most of the day english television yes english television yes so but um but, she, she knows she knows english but, it's it's just that her vocabulary isn't she doesn't know every word in the dictionary let's just put it that way she she's she oh knows that's half. not a very helpful statement half. nobody knows every word in the dictionary right I know, I know. I'm just being facetious. I'm just saying her vocabulary isn't that large. So she's not been reading, right? No, she hasn't been reading, writing. She, do, she doesn't really know how to read or write properly. She doesn't know how to read or write properly. Do you know if she's had an IQ test or an intelligence test? Is she Never, never. Do you, well, what would you estimate her intellectual capacity to be? I mean... I would say... If I'm going to be generous, um, grade three or four level. So she's got an IQ, I don't know, just off the top of my head of like 60 or 70? <sighs> I'm sorry if this doesn't mean anything to you, and it doesn't actually mean that much to me. I'm just trying to sort of gauge this stuff. Yeah, yeah the, the thing is, I, Stefan, I don't know how much of this is, is the medication. It's very well, difficult but to get. So, I mean, no, but uh, I don't know that that matters. And I'm sorry to put it that way, but if if she's going to be on this medication for the rest of her life, what does it matter? Well, I guess it doesn't. Right? Let's say it's 100% the medication. Okay. She's still probably going to be on it for the rest of her life, right? So yes. it might as well be genetic. It might as well, you know what I mean? I yeah. mean, I've heard the mind is a muscle, right? And, and she spent a lot of time not using it. You know, whether that's environmental, whether that's genetic, whether that's medicine-based, the fact is, right? Yeah. So. So this is impacting your family quite a bit. Well, 
Yeah. Your I current mean, family. My, my current family. Like, I would say the, 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 the month or two after my mom's passing, um, I, I had to really be there for my sister. And that impacted my relationship with my wife. What do you mean you really had to be there for your sister? Um, I'm not saying you didn't. I just want to understand what, what you mean by that. Yeah, like, like I had to help her fill out. She had to fill out so many applications for, for living there. Uh, they had to, she, had, she had multiple uh, doctor appointments. and. Oh, okay, I got it. So that's what I mean. I, I, I didn't know if you meant practically emotionally. I'm sure there was an emotional aspect to it as well, but. Yeah, yeah, but it was mostly um, things like that, like taking her to her social worker and her um, her case manager, things like that. Yes. And um, so, I mean, I'm sure you. I mean, since I guess she was living, your sister was living with your mom when your mom died. She had to find a place for her your, your, to get your sister set up. I mean, it seems like a very nice thing to do. I, you know, I'm sure that was a, I'm sure your wife wasn't like, don't go help your sister, right? No, no, no. She, she wasn't like that at all. It's just. So what, the one part I really can't get that I really have been circling like a shark to try and get my teeth into is you said that you were thinking of having kids before this and now it's on hold or it's what? Well, during, during that uh, chaotic time, around my, my mother's passing. Um, I, like I was, I was emotional almost every day. Of course. Yeah. And I guess it's during that time. I mean, you didn't even have the simple clarity of grieving. Yeah. You know, she denied, she denied what you most needed, which was the validation of the abuse. She denied all of that. She avoided responsibility. She didn't give you the facts. Even with death staring her in the face, she couldn't summon the honesty that would have helped you in a significant way, right? That's right. So you don't even get the simple, deep, chasm clarity of grief. Yeah, that's fair to say. It's really hard to say, I miss the bitch. Because it's complicated, right? Yes. I mean, my mom's getting kind of old. One day, I'm going to find out. Might get the call, might not. One day, I'm going to find out. It's complicated, right? Yeah. You know, when I get old, hopefully, my wife dies or I die. Well, that's going to be an uncomplicated chasm of just grief and loss and sorrow and missing and love. And happiness at having had the experience to know each other. And that you can process. But this tangled, complicated, she gave me breast milk, she beat me up. She was sometimes nice. She was a bitch. You know, I mean, she was victimized as a child. She was destructive as an adult. She made bad choices. Uh, she refused to acknowledge those bad choices. Ugh, you know, like she was passive, but she acted in reaction to that passivity. I mean, 
this is all really challenging and complicated stuff. And so that's why it's particularly hard. You know, one of the first podcasts I did was, you know, when one of your abusers is dying. It's a very tough situation, very tough question. And uh, that, that, it's, it's the, it's the amb ambivalence and complexity that I most sympathize with. Which is hard for other people to, to understand as much, right? Oh, incredibly difficult, yeah. Okay, so after you got your sister set up in this facility, uh, I assume that your wife didn't have any particular issues with you doing that, but where did her challenge come up with you? That, that I wasn't emotionally available. And like, yeah. Has your sister ever acknowledged any of the wrongs she did to you? No, I, I don't think she's capable of, of making that uh, mental leap. You mean she doesn't remember your childhood at all? No, she, she remembers. I don't think she grasps the concept of personal responsibility. So, I mean, I'm just going to put her in the retarded or whatever the current phrase is for it. Like she's just mentally handicapped. Yeah, again, Stefan, I don't know if it's the medication or not. Because, that, like, she's been medicated from an early age. Well, yeah, it's over 20 years, right? With, with the medication, I, I think it would be fair to say that. Well, and, and she's not had the life experiences which shopping in your soul, right? I mean, she's not gone out there and got her first job and had a jerky boss and, and had relationships and, and had friendships break up over reasonable or petty issues. She hasn't had her first love. She hasn't, uh, I mean, she may still be a virgin. I don't know, but she, she she's not had, yeah, she's not had the life experiences that make you into an adult, right? So there's the medication and there's the general not being in the arena of life and exercising any particular mental or emotional or spiritual muscles in the general hurly-burly of being alive, right? Yeah, I, I almost think of it as like a brain atrophy. Yeah, yeah. She, she has I mean, exercised. Yeah. She finished high school, which, you know, you need some IQ to be able to do. Uh, well, and it, was, now it wasn't it actually a high school diploma. It was just a special ed certificate kind of thing. Oh, right. Like, they basically, we're done with this thing, right? Exactly. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. So your issue, your wife's issue, was that you were emotionally unavailable, and I don't know what that, what that means. What, the the like the last two weeks of my mother's life, I was uh, I was pretty much by my mom's bedside the whole time. Uh, she was and why were you there? Well, I'm she not was... saying you should or shouldn't have been. Again, I mean, you know, I always, I always want to remind people. I'm not asking these questions. Why the hell were you there when you could have been surfing? Right? I don't mean that. I just mean what was the reason for you being there? Because you had this complicated relationship, which, with an adverse childhood experience of nine, it's not actually that complicated in some ways, in my opinion. But that's just my opinion. Um, but why did why were you there? You you sound like a guy who's got a lot who's got some rules in your head, and I'm concerned that these rules are are causing you trouble with your sister, or rather with your wife with regards to your sister. Yeah, my mother's dying, 
I must be there, right? That's what a good person does. That's what a son does. My mother is dying. How could I possibly explain it to people if I wasn't there, or at least I wasn't there all the time, right? Is that, I don't know if I'm way off base with that, and I certainly don't want to tell you your own experience, but that's the sense I'm getting. No, that's that that's uh, very accurate. And, and also, we, we don't have any other family here, so I was virtually the only one that really was there for her. Oh, yeah, I know. I get, I get that. I get that. But yeah, what did it ha- what did it do for you? I mean, when I'm dying, I hope my daughter's there so we can talk, so we can remember, so we can laugh, so we can cry. Well, right? and, the- and I hope she'll want to be there. Yeah. But your mom gave you an adverse childhood experience score combined with the lovely man she chose to have children with of nine. I mean, you were like six steps away from living in torture chamber. I know, Stefan. It was, it was. The prison guard is dying. The unjustly imprisoned and beaten up prisoner must go to the prison guard's deathbed. Because the prison guard, having lived his life in the dedication to evil, is lonely. She couldn't even tell you the truth two months before she died. She couldn't even listen. She couldn't even explore. She couldn't even ask. She's going to die. What would, have, what would it have cost her to tell you the truth, to listen to your requests, to be honest with you about what you needed? Wasn't that the last chance she had to provide a tangible good to you in your life? She Jacob? did. She did. That, that was her last chance. And the fact that she... she yeah, the fact the fact that she blew it, I, I it uh, it angered me. Yes, yes, but you were emotionally unavailable because you had ceased to exist. In my opinion, during that time frame. Because you were in the service of abstract rules. There's a reason I gave you that speech earlier. Jacob about we do not simply obey abstract rules and do you know why I gave you that speech yeah because you do that right yeah you're a good boy and you go to your mother asking her after decades to give you some validation some truth about your own existence she basically says, no, fuck you. And Stefan, I have, I have you to thank for that because without listening to your show, I probably would have never confronted her on that. Right. Right. And she did not give you what you needed, what she owed you, right? No. It, it wouldn't have made up for anything that happened to you, but it would have been something that you could have held on to as a positive in these dying days, right? Yeah. Right. And, uh, but you kept going back. That's right. You were angry with her. She was a brutal mother, a disorienting mother, which is even worse than being brutal, in my opinion. Right? You said there's the good and the bad, the highs and the lows, the support and the violence and so on, right? She never took responsibility. 
she was certainly complicit, if not downright causal, in the destruction of your sister. I mean, not the only, right? There's a, a whole pharmaceutical industrial industry that uh, I believe is complicit as well, but that's not something we have to talk about just now. But uh, how did she earn your vigil at her deathbed? How did she deserve it? The the only what thing I could do? say, the the okay. only the only thing I could say is that uh, I saw the physical pain and torment she was in, and something inside of me said, "So like no one deserves to be alone in this moment." And uh, how was she when you were suffering through physical torment at say having been beaten by her or by your father? How was she? when you were sobbing alone in your room, aching throughout your body with vicious red stripes across your back or your ass? How was she when you were in massive pain and trauma as a child? Yeah, she wasn't too concerned. No. You treat people the best you can when you first meet them. After that, you treat them as they treat you. My mother may call and say, I'm dying. I need you. And I will say, well, my dear, you had 48 years to come to me with an apology, and now you come to me with a demand. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you kidding me? I'm not saying what you should or shouldn't have done. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I mean, I'm just chatting with you for the first time. I certainly don't mean to impose my thoughts and experiences and decisions upon you. But uh, you had it rough from these parents, man. No one should be alone. I agree with you. No one should be alone when they're hurt. Which you experienced year after year after year after year. And you didn't inflict the illness on your mother, I'm assuming, <laughs> right? You didn't inflict the illness on your mother. That's just life and death, right? Yeah. Whereas she inflicted the pain on you, right? I mean, if you hit someone in a car and they were in pain, well, yeah, you'd go over and help them because you caused it, right? But you did not cause your mother's pain. That was illness. And you did not cause the fact that your mother got to the end of her life with no one except an overly dutiful son wanting to spend any time with her. And even then, she could have provided, she could have paid you for your vigil. She could have paid you for your concern and your attention by at least giving you what you needed from her emotionally, some validation, some what. I mean, that could have released you from a lot of stress and difficulty and pain and doubt for the rest of your life. She held that key, right? 
she held that key, Jacob, she could have released you with honesty from a lot of trouble. And she didn't. Wasn't her last act with you, one of withholding and continue, continuing to traumatize you into denying your need? Many, many, many years ago, I heard a libertarian. I mentioned this on the show before. I had a tape. This is back way before <laughs> any kind of podcasting. Somebody gave me. I don't even remember where I, gave, I got it from. Probably from, probably from my friend Wayne. But it was uh, some libertarian who was giving a speech. And he said, uh, he said, what we owe our parents is justice. It's what we owe everyone. It's justice. Which is a rational and honest evaluation of their behavior. We owe virtuous people love if we're virtuous, and we owe them hatred if we're evil. We owe evil people hatred if we are virtuous, and we owe evil people temporary allegiance <laughs> should we also be evil and they serve our needs in the moment by helping us encircle another victim. Justice. Justice. What troubles me is not whether you sat by your mother's bedside for two weeks or not. What troubles me is the impact that's had on your relationship with your wife. Yeah. Because you, uh, you gave a lot of uh, loyalty and allegiance to an abuser, ACE of nine. You gave a lot of loyalty and time and energy and focus and concentration to an abuser. You felt a lot of loyalty to an abuser. I assume your wife is not abusive. And she's saying, wait a minute, what is going on? Why is my husband having such a strong allegiance to his mother who continues to withhold and neglect and abuse him up to her very dying days? Why does he give her so much allegiance? And what does that say about his relationship to me? And what does it say about some other new destructive person who might come into our lives in the future? Will he then cleave to that person and provide resources to that person out of a sense of duty and loyalty and goodness? Am I not vulnerable because my husband's time and energy and allegiance can be snapped up by a bad person? And again, I'm not saying whether you, whether you should or shouldn't have been there. I don't know. But I think my concern is that you were on autopilot, that you were in a deterministic universe called this is what people do. And you felt a sense of guilt. Right? People shouldn't go through this pain alone. I agree. Good people should not go through that pain alone. All that is needed to punish evil is honesty. Which is why false allegiance and duty and nationalism and patriotism and uh, pride in one's deity and uh, one's blood relations, which is so often more blood spilled than <laughs> blood held, which is why these duties are so often piled upon the souls of good people. What if your father calls and says, I'm dying, come to me. 
Well, that if if that were my dad, I probably wouldn't be there for him. I, actually, I know I wouldn't be there for him. Why not? Because he wasn't there during my formative years. And in what way was your mother there for you in your formative years? Well, I that, that's just the thing. I still have these memories of her that are positive, where we shared something together. Right. And I guess it was it was... I use those memories how many of them do you have I have those too I mean with with my own mother and um, so how many do you have of these memories just just uh, she she worked a lot so I didn't I didn't see her too often but the, maybe a handful handful of memories how many memories do you have after having known the woman for 30 years. 30 years. How many of these positive memories do you have? Not as many as I would have liked. Do you want me to keep asking, or do you want to just tell me you're not going to answer? Maybe, maybe five or six. Do you know how many days there are in 30 years? A hell of a lot. 10,950, plus a couple of leap years, uh, leap, leap, year, leap year days. 11,000 plus days. 11,000 days. And you have a couple of good memories. Do you want this to be the case at the end of your marriage if you are married for 30 or 40 or 50 years for your wife to say, yeah, there were five or six times over those 30 or 40 or 50 years that my husband was nice to me? No, absolutely not. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? This cannot be your standard. This can't be your standard. I have a few good memories of my mother. After knowing her for 11,000 days, I can remember a couple of good ones, or maybe they're not even full days, maybe they're moments. I'll tell you this. I've now been a father for six and a half years. I can think of maybe three or four times my daughter and I have not gotten along for an hour or so. And in hindsight, I'm grateful for those not getting alongs because they led to great conversations and great growth in the depth and intimacy of our relationship. But can you imagine if my daughter was talking to a friend of hers and said, yeah, my dad's been home with me for six and a half years. We've had two good days. So I owe him for those two good days. 
I owe him forever. Uh, yeah, it all seems so irrational when, when it's put in, in those terms. I mean... Can you say, imagine your wife says, uh, you know, I'm not happy in our marriage. You've been married for 30 years. I'm not happy. My wife says, your wife says, I'm not happy in your marriage. And you say, no, no, no. I remember four times over these last 30 years that I made you somewhat happy for at least an hour each time. 30 years, 11,000 days, there were at least four afternoons where you were happy for an hour because I was there. So you owe me. You better stick around. You owe me for those four hours out of 11,000 days. You owe me! How dare you? Question our relationship. Four hours out of 11,000 days, I made you somewhat happy. I mean, okay, I beat you up and screamed at you and verbally abused you and hit you with belts from a lot of the other 11,000 days. But those four hours, oh, they were great. And that should be enough for anyone. Do you see what I'm saying? No, absolutely. It would be, I'm not going to speak for your wife, I'm just speaking for myself, that if you were my friend, it would be disturbing to see this level of allegiance for such a scarcity of happiness. She made you far more unhappy than happy. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's fair to say. And as far as your life goes, I don't know what to do with your sister. I, I, you know, I'm not going to talk about my own thoughts and experiences in these areas. I'm not unversed with the situation, but I don't want to get into it. But I'm going to assume that you want your life to add up to more than the average. There's nobody who listens to this show who's going to ever end up being content with the average. Is that, is that fair to say? Uh, that's exactly why I called in. Right. So I will tell you a great secret of success. You want to think of your life and success. And this doesn't mean money. It can. But it just means having a life that really means something. Having a life that really adds up to something. Having a life that ends up leaving a positive force in the world and doing something positive and powerful in the world. And that, and that can be as simple as being a great dad or being a great friend or being a great boss or anything. It can be anything. It can be being a great neighbor. I don't care, but do something that is going to make the world a better place. Now, in my situation, I decided to become an intellectual leader. And that means not leading people's intellect, but leading people to their intellect, right? Giving people the power of reason and evidence and leading by example and living by example. And when I decided to become an intellectual leader, I thought, well, what's the best good I can do for the world? 
Is it being a software executive? Well, I can do some good in the world, no doubt, being a software executive and starting companies and giving people a, you know, a positive work environment. And, you know, my company, there was a couple of dozen people who had a positive work environment and I helped to really develop their capacities and it was good. And that was certainly an option that I was pursuing and I was open to it and, and so on, right? But when I wanted to become an intellectual leader, I knew that it was going to be a significant challenge. It wasn't like I wasn't aware of what happens to a lot of intellectual leaders in the species, especially if they're moral leaders rather than I discovered uh, the unified field theory or whatever. You know, People get praised in general for technical knowledge and they get cursed in general for moral knowledge, right? <laughs> Advancements in technical knowledge give people cell phones Advancements in moral knowledge disrupt relationships that stretch back to the fucking protozoa. So, I knew that. And I also knew, having had some experience with leadership in the past, I mean, not just in business, but uh, I was also, I directed a play or two that I wrote and, and, and uh, produced a movie, and I had had some, you know, some experience with leadership in the past. And I knew that you cannot be any more powerful than the people around you believe you to be. You know, like, I don't care how beautiful your choir is, if there's even one donkey in the back, <laughs> braying, <laughs> braying away, a joyful, beautiful noise you are not going to make. Right? Everybody in the choir has to sing well. I'm sorry. That's the rule of choirs. This is not karaoke. <laughs> We're not entertained because you can sing all parts of Bohemian Rhapsody in a drunken rasp. Yeah, it's funny if you're drunk and whatever, right? But you cannot have in a choir of angels one vocal devil can't do it you want to have a choir everybody has to sing well and if you want to be a leader you can't have people around you who are invested in your failure if you want to live large you can't have people around you who are invested in you being small If you want to do your best on a test, you can't have people roller skating around you, shooting off fireworks and going, psych, into your ear all the time. That's a little uh, distracting, <laughs> let's say. And you simply must have people around you who believe that you can do it. And that the world's a better place for you taking on your challenge, whatever that challenge is going to be. So in my mind, I thought, okay, and I'm, I'm putting in, uh, you know, that's an old song. I just spent six months in a leaky boat. <laughs> I'm putting out to sea and I am going to sail over the wide Sargasso Sea to 
the undiscovered country <laughs> from whose born no traveler returns except by podcast. The undiscovered country called the future, the undiscovered country called a better moral situation for mankind. In the same way that the people who fought to end slavery were trying to set sail to an undiscovered country called no slavery, which mankind had never lived in before. And you're going to sail over the sea and you can't even come back. All you can do, send messages in a bottle, shoot up some flares, and you're your boat is rickety, and the sea is very wide. And you simply cannot have people on the boat who are going to eat all your food, drink all your water, and jump up and down on your rickety boat in a pogo stick. You can't. Like, then just stay on shore. You, you can't do it. There can't be stowaways, there can't be deadweight, and there can't be saboteurs. Can't be. And so in one way or another, in one method or another, I started this uh, journey, this mission, this calling. And I said to my friends and I said to my family, you want to come on board? This is what I'm doing. This is where I'm going. Now, if you were planning this journey and someone said, yeah, I'll come on board, but I'm going to make sure you never make it. Would you take them? No way. Of course not. Of course not. That would be an act of self-sabotage through the means of another person. That'd be like when my brother was young and he'd grab my hand, make me hit myself and say, stop hitting yourself. If you're sailing on this perilous voyage, you need people who are going to row, who are going to bail when the storms come, who are going to believe in the virtue and value of what you're doing so you can all work together to achieve the goal. And that is the only way that it is worth leaving the shore. If you're not going to have people like that on your boat, you either sail alone or you don't sail at all, right? And if you want to achieve something great in your life, all you have to do is surround yourself with people who believe in you. And it's not like some narcissistic thing, like they're all just praising you and agreeing with everything you say. It's nothing like that. Because you're there and believing in them as well. And it is in the unity, right? The captain can't sail the ship alone. It is in the unity of the crew that the voyage is achieved. And sometimes... The captain gets sick and other people get promoted and sometimes other people are better at sailing through particular areas. You, you get the analogy. I don't want to overstretch it. But if you want to achieve something great with your life, you need great people around you. So I basically went around to people and said, I'm going to do this crazy thing that is going to have me praised and cursed, is going to have me glorified and slanderized <laughs> that is going to polarize the planet that is going to make good people love me and evil people hate me as if it has anything to do with me but people like to anthropomorphize virtue as if it's a person you know like science is a lab coat <laughs> it's not a methodology that's what people imagine that somehow my arguments are me and if they say I'm a bad person oh look 
the arguments we don't have to deal with. <laughs> right? I mean, this is not not shocking. And if you're going to set sail on that boat, you need people who can sail and who are willing to deal with the hardships that are going to come with the journey and the rewards. The rewards are plentiful and the hardships can be many. Like that old saying says, you know, the real friends are, when everyone's heading out the door, they're the ones coming in. Right? Oh, you're unpopular. I'm going away. <laughs> well, okay, thanks for revealing your true colors. I think I'll stick with the people who are coming in the door when popularity becomes challenging rather than those heading out the door. Now you, my friend, want to achieve something with your life beyond the norm. You don't want to be a father marginally better than your dad. You don't want to say, well, I had an AC of nine. If I can get that down to four, hey, that's more than a 50% improvement, <laughs> right? I've cut it in half. 100% improvement? I don't know. <laughs> Negative math blows my brain. But um, you have a limited amount of resources, and you can pour them into your sister's inert life. You can go over and you can listen to her complain. And you can try and get her moving in, in some sort of life, which you have been unable to do for the past 30 years or so. Or you can say, I am ready to meet my sister should she attempt to or be able to achieve something. But I cannot sacrifice my future for the sake of of the ghosts of the past. Right? This is not a situation where you and your sister are running from a lion and she stumbles and you're just going to keep running on and let the lion eat her. This is not the situation. That may be how you're framing it to yourself, that you owe something to your sister. We owe everyone justice. Was your sister a victim? Yeah, absolutely. Was your mother a victim? Was my mother a victim? Absolutely. Absolutely. But being, being a victim doesn't mean you get all the resources in the world. It doesn't mean you get any resources at all. The real question is, are you fighting being a victim? And did you turn and victimize others, particularly children? Your sister was five years older, and she was telling you to get the fuck out of here when you wanted to watch some television. She's not innocent. She's not innocent in this. Doesn't mean that she's guilty and damned forever, but she was mean, she was vicious, she was cold, she was brutal, she was entitled, she was selfish. I don't believe you ever got an apology from her, and you say, well, maybe she's not capable of it. Maybe. Maybe. But how's she going to do on the boat of extraordinariness that you want to ride into the future? Is she going to be pulling her weight? Is she going to be helping you out? Is she going to be supporting you? Or is she going to be jumping up and down on a sharpened pogo stick on the rickety leaky bottom of your boat of extraordinary futures? Because you have a choice to make. And I'm telling you, man, I'm telling you the idea that your sister, and I say this with anger and with sympathy, as I'm sure you feel as well, right? But the idea that your sister would somehow prevent you from having children and would 
interfere with your intimacy with your wife is abhorrent to me. You should sacrifice nothing. I assume your wife is a good person. I've heard nothing to the contrary, and I'm going to go with that assumption. But you should say nothing, nothing gets between you and your wife. Nothing and no one gets between you and your wife. She is your number one priority in this world. Nothing gets between you and your children if you want children. Nothing. And anyone who does is destructive to you. Uh, we can say, oh, yes, but your sister was on these meds and she's had all these traumas. And I'm sorry for that. That's not your fault. You didn't do it. It wasn't your choice. You weren't the parent. You understand? You weren't the parent. Nothing can get between you and your wife and nothing can get between you and your future children. Nothing. Your loyalties lie with the virtuous. And I'm not saying that your sister is not virtuous, but her effect on you is not virtuous. She doesn't bring you happiness. She doesn't bring you joy. She doesn't bring you possibility. She doesn't bring you emotional comfort. She doesn't bring you connection with the past. She doesn't bring you optimism. She doesn't bring you opportunity. She doesn't bring you passion. She doesn't bring you enthusiasm. I mean, to use an extreme analogy, if I had some dank mold in my bathroom that was making me feel sick and dizzy and tired all the time, it would not be a moral question. It would be a question of self-preservation. You harming your relationship with your wife, you maybe not having children, is not helping your sister. It's only harming you. There is only one thing that I think you can do for your sister, and that is to give her an example of a life lived with passion, with energy, with enthusiasm, and with a lack of guilt and a lack of empty obligation to a brutalized history. That is all you can offer her is the example of the life you want her to lead. If she comes with you, if that gets her out of her funk, if that gets her out of her disorientation, if that makes her want to have a better life, if that makes her enthusiastic, great. Then you will be there with her when she takes her tottering steps into a future that means more than staring at the wall in a group home. You must be the example for her. You cannot enable the complaining and the inertia and the resentment and the manipulation should that be occurring. Whatever you feed gets stronger. Whatever you obey has more authority. You must break free of obligation of guilt and the sinister adherence to a broken history. Launch yourself into life. The ship is leaving. Who's with me? Who's with me? I'm going. This place is dying. I am leaving. Who is with me? Who's going to strike out over the horizon? Who is going to go and grab the future by the fucking balls? Who is going to come with me as we achieve our hearts and life's desire and leave an imprint of our neofrontal cortices on the world so deep it shames the Arizona crater? Who's with me? Get on board or get lost. And you have a choice. I am 
I'm sorry for your sister. I am. I really am. I think it's a terrible situation to be in. Her life prospects are not great. It's not your fault. And you cannot fix her. You cannot save her. Except by example. You got a fat friend who won't lose weight? Does this mean you have to gorge with yourself and stay fat yourself? No! You lose the weight. Hey, look, I can climb stairs and I'm not dying. Hey, look, I can play with my child and I'm not... I can still have feeling in my left arm, <laughs> right? You lose weight and you see if they want to find out how. Go and live your life of excellence. Go and live your life of power. Go and live your life of purpose. Go and live your life of connection. Go and live your life of intimacy, of love, of virtue, and of a powerful positive impact on the planet. Boat sailing, who's with me? But don't stay at the dock and sink for nothing. Does that make any sense? Wow. Uh, I really needed to hear that, Stefan. That was... Uh, I really needed that. All that needs, all that is needed for humanity to take flight is to see one person flying. But hugging the ground with everyone else only robs people of the example of flight. When you fly visibly and powerfully in front of all of humanity, we can do this with the internet as never before. When you fly powerfully and positively in the face and in the eyes of all humanity, there are some people who will leap out of whatever hole they're in and struggle and, and, and climb with their fucking teeth if they have to to the top of a tree and launch themselves into the stars because they've seen someone fly. Now it is possible. That is all they need. That is the only spark they need to ignite their souls. I saw someone fly and here I've been confused by gravity this whole time. I saw someone fly. I'm gone. I'm up there. I'm streaking through the clouds. I saw someone fly. It was just a moment. Bam! They flashed by overhead. My whole world changed. Nothing was ever the same again. I saw a human being break free of the bronze of gravity, of history, of dumb, blind repetition of trauma. I saw someone fly. Be that someone who flies. Don't go into the holes and nag people and, 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 and try to get them to do something. Just go and fly. And you'll pull people up out of those holes just through your example. Not everyone. Maybe not even most people. But who cares? It's the only way to get people out of the ground. Stefan, all, all I can say is thank you. Thank you very much for taking my call. And um, I'm going to re-listen to this and... <laughs> It was it was very helpful. Good, and I I'm Jacob. I'm sorry for the burden that was placed upon you. I am so sorry for that. Look, we can make great opportunities out of you know you can make omelets out of the broken days of your history, the broken eggs of your heart. Nobody wants their hearts broken, but you can at least make an omelet. Many years ago, I saw. The first Conan movie. 
because there's nothing like seeing the ass of the future governor of California. But, um, and he was, uh, he was as a young man put turning, he was tied to a, basically tied to a wheel that he had to turn. I was grinding corn or something like grinding grain. And he basically walked in a circle year after year, pushing this giant heavy weight, which was a really shitty life. <laughs> you know, pretty much everyone in those movies has an ACE of six billion, right? And he emerged, though, with unbelievable strength and power because he had been pushing a giant dead weight in a circle for years. Horrifying existence emerges unbelievably powerful. But he has to stop walking in circles first. Otherwise, the strength only serves repetition. He has to break free of walking in circles to exercise his power across the world. So what I'm saying is, if you want to get nailed to a tree and bite the head off a vulture, that's another story for another time. <laughs> but I'm glad that the conversation was helpful, and I hope you'll drop us a line to let us know how you're doing. I will. Thank you so much. Thanks, Stefan. You're welcome. All right. Up next is Alexi. He wrote in and said, How can I talk with my future children about religion? How can I learn to communicate with them without losing my temper, threatening them, or raising my voice like my parents did to me? How can you discipline them, did you say? How can I learn to communicate with them without losing my temper, threatening them, or raising my voice? All right, okay. Are you there, Alexi? Yes, I am. Are you concerned about communicating with me, threatening me, and raising your voice? Oh, no, 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 no. Definitely That's pretty not. much the same thing. Okay. <laughs> it's no, there's no special physics of communication for children, right? Other than, you know, try not to use a lot of Latin. Okay. I mean, you're not scared of screaming at me, right? No, definitely yeah, not. Yeah, it's the same thing with kids. I don't fight the urge to scream at my daughter. I don't fight the urge to scream at my wife. I don't fight the urge to scream at my listeners. Actually, occasionally, but, but not recently. <laughs> But no, I, that's, I mean, that's just, a, that's just a commitment to being, you know, you, you, are you concerned that you're going to scream and strangle a waiter if your soup arrives cold? No, you're just going to say, hey, man, my soup is cold. Can you, can you sort this out, please? Mm-hmm. That's very it's true. the same, you know, it, it, if we just, you know, just treat our kids as well as we treat your average waiter, you know, for the most part, we'll be uh, living in paradise. All right. Uh, but why, why religion in particular? Well, uh, personally, I, I really don't know what's going on and um in one of your videos i don't remember which one it was but uh, you were talking to somebody about um you know if you were walking down the street with your children and they saw you know a church and they ask hey dad or hey mom you know what is this what do the people go there for and you try to explain to them and when it comes to the point where they ask well why don't we do that i don't know how to answer it because i'm not entirely sure okay well why don't you be a kid uh why don't you be a kid and i will try and answer it in the way that i have okay um dad what is this first of all you first of all you don't wait to be reactive Mm -hmm. right i mean you 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 don't wait to be like hey what's that church right or what's that building with the cross on top right Mm -hmm. it's like well that's a it's a giant wine bottle and they turn that to open it right i mean that's uh (laughs) you, you would talk to them proactively about it right yeah 
So um, the way I did with my daughter is we talk about Big Invisible Guy. Okay. And, uh, you know, you ask the questions. You know, do you think it's possible that there's a Big Invisible Guy living in the sky? Right? And, and you, you, you sort of proactively... And, you know, ask it neutrally, like, oh, you couldn't believe that people... Like, you just ask, it's a question, right? It's just a thinking exercise. Mm-hmm. Is there a big invisible guy living in the sky? And you say, well, I can't see him. It's like, yeah, but he's invisible, right? It's like, mm-hmm. well, then, 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 you know, you can start this around three or four years old. They're pretty good at object constancy and thinking through things at that age. And uh, you just ask them the other question. You say, well, can you talk to him? Well, no, not really. Some people think they can, but we, nobody knows for sure. It's never mm-hmm. been proven, right? Yeah. In other words, nobody's ever asked a question that only Big Invisible Guy would know and got an answer that everyone accepts only Big Invisible Guy could know, right? Yeah. And so you, you sort of proactively say, and this, yeah, some people believe this. It just depends where you go in the world, right? Uh, some places, almost everyone believes it, but that's oftentimes because they're punished for not believing it. And mm-hmm. other places, you know, very few people believe it, you know, Japan and Sweden or whatever, right? Very few people, uh, at least uh, uh, in Sweden, among the sort of ex-wasps or whatever, right? I mean... So you're sort of proactive about this kind of stuff and say, well, people go to church, you know, and they talk about this stuff. And some of the stuff that they talk about in church is very interesting, like what is goodness, what is courage, what is uh, sacrifice, what is, you know, evil and, and so on. And so they do talk about some interesting things, but it's generally about this big invisible guy guy. <laughs> and um, so, you know, you, you talk about things proactively and you ask, you know, non-loaded, non-leading questions about how you know whether things are true or false, right? I mean, uh, and, uh, you know, like you, you can do, I, I have a, if I said to you, I have an invisible spider, I mean, I remember having this conversation with my daughter. She's about four. I said, well, oh, if I had, if I said, oh, I've got a big invisible spider on my head, what would you do? She said, well, I try and touch it. <laughs> and I said, ah, uh, yes, but you can't touch it either, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, can I smell it? <laughs> No, you can't smell it either. And we just go through all the five senses and, and so on. And then I said, well, what if I gave you a special machine that if you have special goggles, if you look through it, it tells you whether something's warm or not. And, you know, we assume that a spider has some blood going through its veins or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be a little bit warmer. And if you can't see it through there, either you can't touch it, you know, like, then what would you say? She'd say, oh, come on, there's no spider then. Okay. And uh, this is not specific to religion because we don't want to be prejudiced against religion. It's just false things in general that we oppose, right? Yeah. And uh, so that's that's the way that I would talk uh, about it. And, um, you know, I've told my daughter all the Bible stories that I can remember. And I was raised religious and I was in the choir and I spent a lot of time in church. And so I knew something about, (laughs) about these things. And we've we've talked about them, and I don't sort of say them mockingly, mm-hmm. like you know they're they're serious stories and they're interesting stories, and like I don't I don't read the Hobbit mockingly to her, right? Oh, mm-hmm. smorg, like there's dragons, you know? No, we get into the story and and all of that, and uh, we did the Bible stories, and you know they're certainly part of the culture and part of the heritage and how people have framed moral discussions for thousands of years, and so um, you know we talk about these things seriously and uh, and so on and. Uh, um, you know, with some, you know, editing, uh, right? The story <laughs> of the guy who's going to kill his uh, uh, his uh, son uh, to prove his loyalty to God while he's just going to bake him in a pie with mm-hmm. cream. Uh, and so on, he says to his son, I need you to get me, wait, how tall are you? Five foot seven? Okay, I need you to get me a pie dish that's five foot eight, if you wouldn't mind, right? 
<laughs> and so on. Like we did all these things, right? Would you mind wearing clothes made out of, say, kale and lettuce? Would that be all right? You know, and and tonight you're going to sleep in this big pan. Like <laughs> just made it sort of made a, a joke out of it, which was kind of fun and funny. And um, uh, but but yeah, seriously, like if if someone did that, you know, what would they think of the parents? You know, wants to bake them in a pie because big invisible guy told them to. Like that's kind of crazy. Well, yeah, but you know, if you believe this stuff, I mean, it's so. I think that's important to, you know, and also to say, you know, people take this stuff uh, very, uh, very seriously. Some people, you know, some people do it just because, you know, um, because there's a social convention and that's where you meet people and so on. But some people, uh, you know, take it very seriously and, and really, really believe in it. And, you know, and then just be prepared for some awkwardness, right? Mm-hmm. Because not with your kids, but with other kids, right? Or other parents, right? Mm-hmm. Every now and then the stuff will bubble up, right? Yeah. I was trying to explain something to a kid, uh, and uh, the parents were religious, and uh, I was trying to explain something, and I said, "Well, what uh, you know? Tell, tell me the what is the what is the silliest thing that you could ever think of believing?" And my daughter overheard and said, "God." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, well, you can have some interesting conversations uh, <laughs> about about <laughs> that, um, and. Uh, but, you know, you have to tell them that, you know, people take it very seriously and, and they can get upset and so on. And, you know, I don't ever want you to hide what you believe, but uh doesn't mean you've got to go out and, you know, fight all of the stuff in the world forever. I mean, you've got to have fun. And uh, so those uh, uh, those things can be, uh, uh, th- that's sort of how I've approached it. And I, I think it's been uh, fine and interesting uh, and uh, and uh, and enjoyable. Okay. Well, thank you for that, Stefan. Um, but another... as far as, as talking, sorry, as far as as, as not yelling at them, uh-huh. um, a- anything you achieve by Im- intimidation will fall apart in your hands. Okay, and right. that's that's one thing I I don't want to do. I want to be able to talk to my uh, children like a like a normal human being and not feel like I have to raise my voice or punish them. You know verbally or physically right now i mean i don't i mean have i ever raised my voice my i've certainly never yelled at her in anger mm-hmm. but you know every now and then it's like oh come on can we please go for heaven's sake like i can get mm-hmm. exasperated uh, and because I, I don't want to be like some stifled emotionless vulcan right around her child mm-hmm. it is time for us to leave as i have said seven times already <laughs> right i mean it's like it's okay to be have the full emotional experience with your kids mm-hmm. uh, i don't have any urge to yell at her and frighten her i mean it, it would be completely heartbreaking for me to see any kind of fear uh, in my daughter's eyes for her to be afraid of me and and you know i was always told to pick on people my own size which is why <laughs> to me picking on kids and bullying kids is so unbelievably reprehensible Mm-hmm. The only time I got punched outside of my family was when I was taking on a bully who was hitting a younger kid and saying, like, 17 and 11, like, and saying, come on, man, pick on someone your own size. And then he turned and punched me. I think that's the only time I ever got hit outside of my family. And it, it's just, it's always really, I found it particularly vile and disgusting when people uh, uh, bully kids because it's like, oh, come on, man, you're, you're five times their size. You've got all the power. I mean, God, be uh, be a... <laughs> What are you doing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you know you probably won't have this particular urge to uh, to to yell at them, but I mean it just takes a bit of common sense to to even if you have the urge to just say, okay, well, what's it going to cost me, right? 
Mm-hmm. Now, right now, it doesn't cost parents a lot to abuse the living shit out of their children, as we heard from the last caller, you know, all sympathies to him. Uh, you know, still stick around on the deathbed. It doesn't, doesn't cost them that much because propaganda, right? Mm-hmm. In the same way that when divorce was virtually unheard of, unthinkable and impossible and so on, then it didn't hurt men to beat up their wives that much because, you know, the wives would run away and then the the priests would descend upon them, as Alan Pitsy told me in a show. I mean, the priests would come down and say, well, you know, it's God, you've got to go back, and right? So there were no particular negative consequences mm-hmm. to husbands beating up their wives or whatever, and so it kind of continued. But when there were negative consequences, oh, look, <laughs> right? I mean, it's yeah. funny because, you know, libertarians want to privatize stuff because that way it's a voluntary relationship, and that way government workers will become more efficient and it will be more moral and right? You're not just going to lecture government employees about doing a better job if you can't fire them, right? So just making relationships voluntary is kind of the key. And, um, you know, I know for myself that, um, I mean, if I ever were to yell at or, or frighten my daughter or be bully my daughter or something, my God, I mean, the negative consequences would be, you know, families, I mean, yeah, I spend a lot of time together. <laughs> I mean, you really do, especially, right? So, especially if you're really committed to spending time with your kids, man, you spend a lot of time together. The idea that I would do anything to make any kind of foundational part of my relationship with any part of my family awkward or, or you know, weird or, you know, anything like that. I mean, the damage that would be done by just one act of yelling at and bullying would just be so inconceivable. Uh, like, who on earth would want to, like, whatever momentary satisfaction you might get out of it, and I mean, who on earth would ever want to suffer those consequences? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it just, it doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense. And, and you'll, you'll get that. I mean, you marry the right person and, and uh, you just, you just get it. I mean, why, why, why on earth would you ever want to? And there's no need. There's no need whatsoever. My daughter is really great at, at listening. She's, she takes advice quite well. Um, and, uh, uh, I don't, I don't need to, and it would be incomprehensible that I would need to, uh, to mm-hmm. bully her. Um, and, uh, I- I- anything that I would achieve through bullying would maybe would be a momentary compliance, but, uh, it would, uh, I mean, it would, it would just destroy any, any, any future, not destroy, but it would severely weaken or undermine for some time period until I made amends uh, any future kind of relaxed authority that I might might have with her. And, and in the same way, you know, she doesn't bully me, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, so it's um, it, it's really easy. You know, like, uh, you know, today I, I took her to a farm and we were swinging on ropes and, and uh, you know, going down these giant slides and we went looking for frogs. And I mean, it was just a great, a great, great time. And, uh, you know, we were out there for like six or seven hours and it was great. I mean, no conflicts, no big problems. You know, I want to, after a while I want to leave. She wants to stay. We negotiate something. We stick to it. I mean, it's, it's very easy, you know, I mean, and, and it's kind of what I want to get across to people that, you know, parenting can be, um, you know, they say, oh, relationships are a lot of work. No. <laughs> I don't really think, you know, the phrase relationships are a lot of work is only propagandized by people who are difficult, you know, you know, real quality takes a lot of work. It's like, no, you're just high maintenance. That's just, (laughs) 
you're just trying to pretend that you're you being difficult is is somehow the mark of of you being a quality person to have a relationship with it's like nope don't buy it you know mm-hmm. the really the best food is really bad tasting it's like no you're just a shitty cook uh, and you're trying to sell me some bill of goods so you don't have to improve your cooking skills, you know? The best diets make you fatter. It's like, no, but <laughs> I think you just have a bad diet book and you're trying to pull a number on me. Oh, relationships, they take so much work. My marriage takes so much work. It's like, nope, <laughs> it really shouldn't. It really shouldn't. You know, maintenance, mm-hmm. a little tweak here and there for sure, but, uh, you know, the best cars spend most of their time in the repair shop. It's like, mm, nope, <laughs> I don't think that's really true. Yeah. I think you just got a lemon and you're trying to palm it off as something valuable. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. I, I, I don't know. I want to believe that I will be a good parent and a lot of what's happened to me in my past, which compared to a lot of other people really isn't all that bad, but... Uh, I like to think that my experiences have helped me to realize what I should and should not do. But there mm-hmm. are still a couple of things that I'm not too sure on that I've read about or heard about that I don't well, give know me, if I Give can... me one of those. Uh, give me one of those. I'm going to try and get to a third caller. But I do definitely want to take on. I think we can get probably enough principles. So give me an example of uh, something that you think would be a big challenge as a parent. As a um, I read an article a while ago. Uh, it was about a mother who was um, having troubles with uh, getting her child to stop hitting. And uh, she did, you know, she tried to compromise. She tried to say, hey, you know, we don't hit. But for whatever reason, her child would still get frustrated over something. Like if they were at the park and they had to leave she just, and she didn't want to leave, the mother would be like, let's go. We can do something when we get home or you know, something along those lines, and she would start to hit her mother. And, the daughter, right? Yes. Right. And how do we know the mother wasn't spanking? Um, she, in the article, said that she never laid a hand on her kid. And right. She tried yeah, to... and absolutely. For sure, nobody's ever lied about that. Yeah. Ab- ever. Mm-hmm. Like, I know, because it's the same thing. Like, if, if a man is accused of hitting his wife, he'll always admit to it. We know that for sure. That's why you don't need trials mm-hmm. for people. That's why you don't need evidence. It's why you don't need cross-examination or depositions or anything. Because people always tell the truth. <laughs> always. Yeah. And uh, also, for sure, even though the mother has never laid a hand, what about the father? What about the boyfriend? What about an uncle? What about a cousin? What about someone who might have hit the child? Mm-hmm. Uh, what about uh, school friends? Is the mother putting her daughter in an environment where she sees other kids hitting uh, on a regular basis i mean how is it possible that the child is viewing hitting as a reasonable strategy for getting what she wants if she's never been exposed to it mm-hmm. i mean isn't that like her learning japanese while having never been exposed to japanese somewhere she's been exposed to japanese she knows the japanese word for hitting so she's <laughs> knows some japanese person somewhere right mm-hmm. i mean there is you know you could argue well but isn't there an instinct for uh, people to uh uh, to hit, right? Isn't there sort of an instinct? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. I mean, uh, my daughter's never hit me. Is there is there an instinct for hitting? Well, I think hitting is is um, uh, is what occurs 
if we say there's no examples of it, right? And, you know, if there's examples for it, then the, the parents are responsible for exposing the child to those examples and need to apologize for that and say how it's wrong. And, and you know, if the kid was in daycare and, uh, you know, if they're around a bunch of other kids, see, most kids are spanked, right? Mm-hmm. Most kids, in, certainly in, in, in North America, like most kids are spanked and a lot too. Mm-hmm. And so if you put your kid in a daycare, well, guess what? Your kid is around a bunch of spank victims, a bunch of traumatized, PTSD, bond-broken spank victims. Uh-huh. And so the idea that that's not going to have an effect on your kid is ridiculous. You're, pu- you're putting your kid in a toddler prison with a bunch of victims of violence. Sorry. It's just the way it is. Okay. And that's not good, right? Obviously, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But but let's say that this woman is a, you know has never hit, hasn't put her kid in daycare. She's not been around other kids who hit. She's not been hit by the father, or she doesn't have any other siblings who hit, and nobody's hit. Let's just say that's the case. She's just hitting out of nowhere. Okay. okay. Well, why is she hitting? She's hitting because she's frustrated. She's frustrated. Yeah, of course. Of course, she's hitting because she's not being listened to. Mm-hmm. Now, people think that if you listen to someone that you have to do what they say. And that's not true. Of course it's not. I say to my daughter, you can, she says, dad, can I make a case for something? Or dad, can I suggest something? Or dad, I really want something. I said, you can always make the case to me. You can make the case to me that you want to stay up for three days straight and want to live on a steady diet of tree bark and chocolate. You can make any case that you want with me. You can try to convince me of anything you want. Never, ever feel restricted like you don't want to bring up something that you want. Uh-huh. You know, like, Dad, I'd like to stay up till 3 o'clock in the morning. Okay, make the case. Um, I'll, I'll hear it. I'll give you my, exa- my sort of reasoning as to why that may not be a good idea, and we'll talk it through. But in this example, wasn't it uh, that the, um, uh, the woman uh, said, uh, I want to leave the playground, right? Yes. And the daughter said, I don't want to leave the playground. Mm-hmm. Well, that's <clears throat> very common, right? It's a very common problem. Mm-hmm. It's happened to me approximately six billion times. And I, I get that. And, and so, so w- w- what right does the mother have to impose her will? And what right does the child have to impose her will? If either of you bullies the other, you failed mm-hmm. in your relationship. And so how do you, you know avoid who gets that? the bully stick today? You or me? Well, that's not working. That's not that's not how it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And that's just setting up her up for a life of dominate or be dominated, right? Yeah. And so the mother's like, okay, well, I'll I'll give you something. I'll bribe you with something. Now, is is bribing bad? Well, I've done it a few times, but I'm not bribing to erase the will of my daughter. Okay. Right. I mean, I think we gave her a couple of Skittles when she was toilet training. <laughs> right. Yes. That's, you know, she, she's not traumatized by that. And it's not, you know, now she doesn't say, uh, I want to go to the washroom. Where's my big bag full of Skittles? Right. I mean, it's not, mm-hmm. not how it's worked out. But if she wants to, if she wants to stay at the park, I can't say. I don't know, let's just say, uh, uh, you know, I wouldn't ever, but let's, uh, I'll give you a giant chocolate bar to leave the park. That is actually erasing her will. Okay. Because you're not negotiating anymore. You're just bribing her. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, what you're doing is you're making sure, for sure, the next time she wants a giant candy bar, she's going to oppose you. Okay. I mean, you're literally rewarding her for not negotiating with you. All right. I mean, people respond to incentives. Here's a giant candy bar for disagreeing with mommy and not negotiating. I don't know why my daughter disagrees with me and doesn't negotiate. It's like, well, I can think of a giant candy bar's reason why. Right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it wasn't like my daughter manufactured ways to be eliminated so she could get a Skittle. Right? <laughs> I mean, that's just not how it worked, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you, can't, uh, you can't bribe your kids out of the need to negotiate. I mean, you can but you, you're just training them to not negotiate and to, to be resistant in order to get rewards, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, my conversation would be, first of all, why do you have to leave? Why? Why not just stay? Mm-hmm. Is it worth it? Is it worth the fight? And, and that's when they're very young, like two or three, right? You, you can do some negotiation, but obviously it's limited, right? Mm-hmm. So just... Stay? God, is it worth the fight? Is it worth the conflict? Is it worth messing up the rest of the day? Is it, is it worth it? You know, stay another half an hour or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Just, just, and when, you know, and, and the good thing is that when you, when you do that kind of stuff as a parent, you then get to say, look, I mean, we've been at this park for three hours and I'm ready to move on and you want to stay. Now, I'm not saying that being at the park here is a, some giant sacrifice, but do you see any, par- any people here without children? No, <laughs> because when you're in your 30s and 40s, you don't go play at parks, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm here to have fun with you, and I'm not having fun. Like, I've had my fun, and I'm ready to move on. Now, you're still having fun, and I get that, so let's have some more fun, but it can't be just what you want any more than it can be just what I want. I mean, you know, my daughter's deadly fear is being taken to a computer store, right? Um, <laughs> That's my dream come oh, true. <laughs> I know. I mean, I'm like, well, why would you want to go anywhere else? Right? I mean, but, but um, and I said, look, if, if, I, if I wanted to go to a computer store, and I, you know, I'm, I'm just, I love to browse. Like, I just love to see what's available. I don't know what's available. And I, I can literally spend like an hour browsing through a computer store and, and still feel like that was time well spent. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it was, but it could be, right? And so I say, look, you don't like a computer store, right? I mean, that's not Staples, whether or crayons or whatever. Right? So you don't like a cubic Tiger Direct. No. <laughs> She'd actually just rather see a real tiger pit. But, um, and so, like I say, well, if I need to go to a computer store and we've been there for an hour and I say I want another half an hour, would that be fair? Right? And, and she would say, well, not if you didn't have to. And I said, well, you don't have to stay at the park. So... I, and I would say, look, if, if you're really bored at the computer store, let's move on because I want you to have fun and not just me. If it was just be about me, like my mom used to go like shopping in malls for like clothes and stuff. Oh, my God. I'd just be like sitting there half stoned as a eight-year-old in the corner, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, it's terrible. Just these endless shopping expeditions where she just dragged me around and uh, try on clothes and all that kind of crap. And it was just so boring right but i knew better than to say anything because my mom was like not above making a public scene in any way shape or form but um so i said look it's not fair if we're at a computer store you you know like if i just say well i want to just keep looking at a computer store you'd say dad like i have to have fun too right Mm -hmm. and that's and that's fair right 
So I can't just do what I want if it's not making you happy. But at the same way, you can't do what you want if it's not making me happy. And being at the park isn't making me happy anymore. Okay. It's just, it's around universalizing, right? Yeah. You know, like the only way to get my daughter to share a treat sometimes is to say, oh, wait, are we going to be a family that doesn't share treats anymore? So next time I get a treat, I'm not, is that? Oh, is that what we're doing? Okay, you keep the treat. Don't share the treat because, man, the next time I get a treat, I'd be very happy to not share. She's like, oh, okay, you have some. Because, <laughs> right? uh, you know, universalization is the best way to teach empathy, right? Yeah. Empathy is, is, is taught through universalization, which is why philosophy, good philosophy, true valid philosophy is so, so, so associated with empathy. And so... Um, you, you layer it in. And of course, you know, the best thing to do is to make the deal ahead of time. Okay. Right. You, you say, okay, we, you know, here's the time. Here's, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you right now that, you know, it's four o'clock. I'm going to need to eat at six. Okay. Because I get cranky without food and I do. Right. So, you know, I'm going to I got to eat at six. So we got, we, you know, and it's going to take 15 minutes to go and get some food into me. So we've got, you know, an hour and three quarters. Right. Mm -hmm. Do we agree? Right. Before you even go. Right. Going to the park is prerequisite on the ability to negotiate when you're leaving the park. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and then, you know, if she wants to change and, and she says, I want to change the deal later on. It'd be like, well, I, I said, you can negotiate with me about anything. You can tell me that you want to stay at the park till tomorrow morning. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we have to make the case and you have to at least admit that you're breaking the deal and want to remake it. Right. Which you can do. Right. But okay. we have a deal and. And so on. And, and, and I don't have to accept the change in the deal because we already have a deal. Mm -hmm. And you can make any proposal that you want to me. And then sometimes she's very creative in what she comes up with to negotiate and so on. But, um, but you can't just, I, I think that, you know, I'll buy you an ice cream if you leave the park with me. That's, that's bypassing the whole negotiation process. It doesn't matter about the park and whether you stay or whether you go. What matters is that there's two people in the conversation. And the moment you bring in a giant bomb sh of sugar, you've erased the child's will and now they're just reacting on taste buds and saliva. The, the only important thing is that there's two people in the conversation who both get their needs met. That's what you're supposed to teach. It doesn't matter about the park or, or sugar or, or ice cream, that's the only thing that matters is two people in the conversation who are both working creatively to get their needs met. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Excellent. Uh, you'll love your kids so much you won't even want to, I mean, you won't have any urge to yell. <laughs> <laughs> you just, you won't. You won't. You're like, you'll have, what's your favorite movie? Ooh, um... That we can talk about in a family show. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, we'll go with the last movie I've seen, and uh, we'll we'll say Jurassic World. Wait, this is, sounds like theoretical. <laughs> did you actually see this movie? Yes, I did. Jurassic I World. I did see it. Okay, I've seen it twice. Now, you've seen it twice. Okay, yeah. uh, and so when you did you enjoy the movie the whole way through? I did. Was there any part where you were like, "Oh man, I wish this thing had some dinosaurs in it"? Right? Uh, not really. And to be honest, I did see it after you. Uh, posted your uh, truth about Jurassic World movie so as I was watching it I was thinking about everything that you said in your video and it's like oh that kind of makes sense did we ruin oh, it for you <laughs> no 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 no. You, you guys actually made it more enjoyable to watch I, ho after. I hope that philosophy didn't didn't cock block your CGI <laughs> consummation oh no 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 <laughs> get out of my head feminist brain of Steph and Mike 
God damn it. I just want to see some people get eaten. All right. Um, no, okay. So, so you were really enjoying Jurassic Park. Uh-huh. Did you have any urge to leave during Jurassic Park and go and get your money back? No. Right. Because you loved the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing with your kids. Do I have any urge to yell at my daughter? No. No more than you had any urge to leave Jurassic Park. Because you love the movie. I love my kid. You don't harm your experience of it. Okay. The movie Snitch, Snatch, on the other hand, I did walk out of But that's a story for another time. <laughs> All right. Does that, does that make any sense? Uh, it, is there anything else? No. You know what? I'm sorry. I've got to be more assertive than that. Um, I've got to move on to the last caller because I'd like to get through three tonight if that's all right with you. Mm-hmm, that's fine. Thanks for calling in, man. Great questions. All right. Thank you. Uh, up last today is Zach. Is Zach. Wait, up last? When was the last time we heard? Anyway, Zach. It is <laughs> Zach. Yes, Zach. that's me. Zach wrote in and said, how important do you think communication is in a healthy relationship? If you meet a good girl who is virtuous and has good morals, but has poor English and communication skills, do you think that it can still be healthy and have a good future? Well, she can improve, right? I guess so. Are my levels all right? Yeah, yeah, good. All right, I'm on a, I got the microphone. Uh, Are well, you currently like browsing the like Ukrainian mail order bride dating site or something like that? No, not as good has good morals. And no, not quite. And knows how to make moon goulash, mean goulash using only butt cheeks and dumplings. Um, uh, is this a as practical thing that you're dealing with right now, or is this uh, contemplated, or is it theoretical? Oh no, it's a uh, very very practical. Um, good. As uh, where on earth? To start, just in basic, uh, I've met a lot of good people, a lot of virtuous people, uh, and they often, you know, they're usually foreigners. Uh, you know, I live on the, the East Coast, so there's a lot of people that come here from, you know, China, Eastern Europe, the whole nine yards. And um, one major problem that I kind of seem to keep running into is I, f- I feel like, you know, there's just obviously poor communication, and I'm just... You know, as, as lovely as some guys might think, oh, it'd be great if you um, if you had someone that was just very caring and you know were very understanding. As good as that is, when you when you really can't you know have a conversation, it can be very frustrating. Much like what that uh, other caller was talking about with the uh, you know with your children when they just don't understand. I have to go. You know, I get. I'm I'm not sure if I'm making a lot of sense. I apologize. Okay. Well, how do you know that these? Uh, are you talking about women or men or? With girl, you know, with with girls, you know, um, like, um, yeah, like you say, like what you said. If I may go on with that, uh, you said like people's, uh, their, they can improve their language, but to an extent, I feel like uh, to an extent they can, but to another extent, they'll. I feel like there are people that they they could stay here their whole lives and they just. They just will never advance to that point. And, I mean, that's kind of a big investment. If you meet somebody who just came here to this country, you know, it takes years to really improve your, your, your English. And so you have to, you know, eventually, hopefully not too long into it, you want to say, okay, you know, does this really have a future or doesn't it? So, you know, you, you know what I mean, sir? Yeah. So dating, right? Yes, and dating. Okay. So, um... And and sorry to to just ask again. How do you know that they're virtuous people? Well, you know, you, you there's there's common coin virtuous, which usually means obedient, and then there's what I talk about. So I just want to make sure whether we're talking about the same thing. 
Well, I guess I should go with like one girl at a time. I'm being really vague. Uh, I could think of this one particular girl. Uh, she was she came over from China, actually Beijing, and um, this was this was she was a very very kind person, and she had she was very innocent minded. Actually, that's the reason why it didn't work out. But she's the best example that comes to mind. She is very innocent minded, and. What do you some like corrupt lech? I mean, what is that? No, she was I'm not. Just, she was too nice a person. It didn't work out. She was too naive. It kind of, you know, what it kind of makes me think of. I, I'm a big follower of your show. It makes me think of uh, where you once you once said to somebody, you know, if this, if you know a girl who is a very poor judge of character, what kind of men is she going to bring into your life? What kind of people are you going? Is she going to bring into your life? You know. Right. Right. You know, like, hey, could you take this bag to the bus depot for me? You know? <laughs> right. Right. So she just had just a level of naivety and um, just ignorance of just in general life that seemed to be a, a major, you know, hurdle. And I just said, you know, I'm really sorry. And I, I even told her, you know, you, this might be a little bit too much for you to be in a foreign land. This might be a bit too much. And again, I've dated girls and they, they think that's rather harsh when, I, when I've when i said things like that and I don't mean it to be, but I'm yeah, just trying to look up. Yeah, that's kind of harsh. I mean, who the hell are you to judge how she's going to fare in this country, right? That's a pretty foundational thing to be saying to someone, right? Oh, well, it's just, it's, I'm not telling her that she can't. I'm saying, I just think, you know, maybe this is a bit much, you know, You'd, if you knew her, innocent, very innocent. She It was very amazing that this girl was an adult. All right. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I I think that's kind of harsh. Um, I mean, if I were in some foreign country and someone who lived there said, "Oh, I don't know if you're going to make it here. It's you know it may not be the place for you." Be like that, but I'd think about that for a while. <laughs> All right, there was another foreigner girl that told me that. Ah, oh, that sounded a bit harsh. So yeah. interesting that you agreed. That's all right. Now, uh, how do you know that she was nice and not just submissive? Ah cut me to the quick you're good you're good with these questions yeah that's why people call you know oh wow uh i mean i'm no expert on asian culture but two things i do know the men are short on testosterone and the women are pretty compliant could i go could i use a a, a different example perhaps that would be better sorry cut you to the quick those are the example i don't know if you listen to this show much but the cut me to the quick questions those are the ones we don't move away from right uh well all right with niceness um well well there was just no attitude to her at all there was no anger she you know there's a, a general feeling like among American girls a just I don't know an like I I like when I think of the girls that I work with um in my you know their what's that did you say say something. What'd you say, sir? Bitchy. Bitchy, yeah. Where just for like no reason. I don't mean that in an entirely bad way or a negative way, but no, like they're angry for nothing or just a feeling of, hey, why are you doing that? Like, you know, I'm sorry if that offends you. You know, I'm not. No, no, it's because they're oppressed. You see, right? I mean, Chinese American women are treated the best by any culture in any society in anywhere throughout history or in the current world. They have the most rights, they have the highest incomes, they have the most opportunities. And, you know, lots of men have sacrificed quite a lot to try and make the experiences of women in the West as positive as humanly possible. You know, is it perfect? No. But is it perfect for men? Hell no, right? That's right. And, um, you know, like all people who are uh, given am- amazing opportunities and, and 
wherein the limitations of history have been broken through, through the free market, through egalitarian philosophies and so on, like all people who have been on the receiving end of a, an enormous degree of social and economic fortune, they're nothing but grateful. Uh, and that's the refreshing thing about uh, Western women. Hmm, that's a good, uh, good reasoning. Can I, oh, can, uh, I, can I go back to, I guess, trying to explain since you said this, yeah. this is the – when I think about it, like uh, when I think about us dating, uh, it wasn't – I don't feel like there was – like she ever was submissive because I was never telling her, hey, this is what we're going to do ever um it was more like would you like to do this you know agreeance or have you ever seen this would have you ever gone to this place no okay well would you like to go okay yeah so just things like agreeable. that yeah agreeable i'm not really right. an authoritative person i'm not a fan of that and uh, let me yeah, just think. as opposed to you know hey i made you a coffee oh i assume you roofied it too yeah. uh no not really um you know just a western guy <laughs> Okay. Yeah. I, I do have to say, we only dated about three or four times, so that's reasoning why I guess I would say that she's not the best example where I could give a lot of answers for. No, I, I went out with a Chinese woman for a bit, and um, <clears throat> she showed up to our first date and brought me a potted plant. A potted plant? Well, like, you see how, how and nice I, I, I literally thought, how, 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 how absolutely delightful. Yeah. I mean, wow. As opposed to, you know, a lawyer and a, a signed contract of consent that could be revoked at any time and destroy my life. I mean, I just thought, you know, that's nice. Uh, you know, she, <laughs> you know, she's not suspicious. She's not, uh, you know, expecting me to, to pull out some patriarchy card and club her with it or something. I mean, just, uh, you know, potted plant. It's nice. Yes. Very nice. Uh, so, uh... Yeah, it was very nice. I think our first our meeting, I think she, uh, I took her to like a restaurant and uh, I think of all things, it was like around St. Patrick's Day and she was like, why, why is everyone around here like uh, getting sick? Because we was, <laughs> there were all these teens coming in and we, we were pretty young at the time. All these teens were coming in, had to use the bathroom and all that because they were getting sick and, and that's where she told I me. hope you told her, I hope you told her two things, man. <laughs> Number one, Zach, I hope you told her. Please don't judge Western culture by Irish people, number one. Number two, please don't judge Irish people by North American celebration of Irish holidays. So. No, that's actually really funny because she said, what's St. Patrick's Day? And I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> How do you explain that to somebody? Like, I was like, well, <laughs> it's, a, it's a day where I guess you could say – I don't know what – I didn't know what I told her. I said, well, these people, they're just well, – a guy, a, guy, a guy hundreds of years ago drove – snakes out of ireland therefore vomiting in the gutter i mean it seems pretty clear to me <laughs> I, I, i'm not sure she could have made that connection and again she had it was she had a very poor level of english and i do want to say i have uh, made a point of trying to study mandarin actually i've been doing that for many years but that is, so i do want to add that i'm not just like oh you came to my country you have to speak my language i preemptively have tried to learn mandarin as best i could I wish to say, I wish to add that to my case. <laughs> right. I mean, look, generally, generally it's a good idea to try and expand your dating pool outside of women who have been screamed at their whole lives that they're oppressed and that men are bad, patriarchal rapists. Um, that's just not going to work very well for, for anyone except a sadist and a masochist 
And so that really is um, an important thing. Now, that doesn't mean dating non-Western women, right? There are I mean, only 20 or 22 percent of, of women identify as, as feminist. So there's a lot of women out there who roll their eyes with all this feminist vitriol and, and all that, right? I mean, <laughs> God, yeah. I was watching this, this uh, video the other day of this woman who went to a, a feminist rally and um, just held up a sign very quietly and very peacefully and said, there's no such thing as rape culture. Ha! Huh. Which, which there isn't, right, of course, right? We've got the whole truth about rape culture on the channel. Yes. And um, <clears throat> it's mostly men, right? The victims, I mean, in yeah, prisons. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, of course, right? So, yeah, and people yourself. say, well, you know, but that's men raping men, so it doesn't count. It's like, well, do you know that it's mostly women in charge of the sex trade industry, the sex slavery industry? Does that mean we don't care about it because it's women being bought and sold by women? No, and, I... Um, Carry on. It's your show, sir. <laughs> yeah, so uh, anyway, this, this woman um, was... Uh, anyway, so show, she also had a cameraman, and, and when women started ap- approaching her and, and screaming at her, uh, she was filming them and asking them questions, right? And uh, anyway, so uh, after, I don't know, a while, a woman came up and said, uh, oh, you know, we... And she asked these women, she said, do you mind being on camera? Do you mind being interviewed? And the women were like, no sister patriarchy betrayer vixen or whatever the hell right yes and so anyway later the woman was packing up to go and one of the organizers came over and said actually you know uh the women don't you're not allowed to film here and she's like actually no it's a it's a public place you're allowed to film and she said well the women you interviewed they they don't want you to use the footage right and she said well no they they agreed to right and she says no they're they're now withdrawing consent Now, the irony of that, the women out there protesting rape culture say that they can agree to something and then withdraw their consent later and it should be perfectly valid. The irony of that entirely lost on the organizers. Yeah. Anyway, topic for another time. Well, it sounds like a good one, though. Yeah, it's not a bad topic, but... um, yeah, so the woman's not responsible for agreeing at the time because she could just withdraw consent later and everyone has to adapt to it. Anyway, I mean, this is the insanity that some of these participate in. But um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely, you know, the moment a woman mentions, uh, <laughs> I don't know, uh, a patriarchy and, and rape culture and check your privilege and, you know, cisgendered whatever, right? I mean, I just like, okay, like, no thanks. Um, not, not interested in... a oppressing you and and these women are clearly signaling that uh you are gonna potentially dip your dick in a deep pit of legally enabled crazy and uh, that's not uh, not a good plan so yeah i i just you know look look for somebody who's reasonable and and you know the culture can be uh, important and culture can be helpful yes yes sir. could i tell you a little more sure uh I'd, I'd really like to maybe speak of somebody else because uh, she's not the best example. Like I said, I may, uh, but if you wish, I can carry on with oh, that. Go ahead. Uh, Whatever better, works for you. A better example is someone I went to college with, actually. I, I had a very long relationship with her. I would certainly say she was not submissive, but she was definitely one of the nicest people that I've ever met. So I think she's a great example. Um, things like uh, we were we were going to class and I said to her, you know, as long as we're going to class and we're going to study together, because she was helping me to study, I said, you want me to drive you? I can just drive you instead, because she was taking the bus, and she said, yeah, and then 
she started to she say, can I pay you? And I said, of course not. But she kept on insisting, let me pay you. I'm saving money, so why don't I give you a little something? And I was like, okay, fine. And then I ended up just, you know, being more helpful. I took her to the um, shop, right? And just in general, just her, she helped me to study and I helped her get around. And there was just a feeling of, act- of definitely not uh, be- me being the authoritative one and her being the submissive one, just more of a reciprocity, a teamwork. And... Um, I never felt oh, yeah. that. Look, I'm not. Then, I'm not recommending. I'm not recommending submission. I was just asking if that was the, if that was a standard. I mean, to me, virtue is not submission. That's why no. I was sort of asking about it. I mean, you want you want somebody with moral courage and, and integrity and, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? Most definitely, you want someone that, uh, when their morals are questioned, that they'll stand up for what they believe in too, not just go with. What I believe, and then, actually, if I may, if I may, one thing I learned, I've, and I find this to be very true, a lot of times from uh, a lot of, for some reason, it's in the Asian culture that they they suffer in silence for usually about two years. That's something I, I learned, uh, where they'll, and I've, I I saw this many times repeated amongst the, many different Asians that I had dated, where, uh, where they just don't speak up, which is kind of funny, where. Like if you say, oh, uh, do you want to watch a movie? Yeah, yeah, okay. And uh, what, what movie do you want to watch? Oh, whatever you like, whatever you like. And they'll do that in event- or, or better yet, uh, would you like to go? Yeah. Uh, and then they, they kill you in your sleep, right? No, no. Oh. It's later on, like maybe two years later, they'll say, you know, I really don't like those kinds of movies. Well, why didn't you say that before? Well, because uh, you should have asked. Or you, it, It's more, I guess there's more of a, a teamwork attitude. Outside, but have you. you have you experienced that yourself? Uh, how do you mean? I mean, have you been in a relationship with a woman who does this suffering in silence thing? Oh yeah, that's what I'm saying. Many times I've I've experienced this. I, I learned about it. Oh, wait a minute, didn't did you did you not notice that she didn't like the movies? Uh no no I didn't. Uh, and it's it's just an example. It's more one of them brought it up to me that, you know, because it was that whole oh what do you want to watch oh whatever you'd like to watch. Oh, I don't, you know, I, I said, oh, just we'll watch whatever you want. Oh, can we watch this? Oh, actually, I don't like that movie. Oh, what about that? Oh, I don't really like that movie. Well, you said you want to watch a movie. What the heck? That's, it was. Wait, so the woman says whatever you want and you suggest and then they say that they don't like no, stuff? No, it was the opposite. Like if you could, back when there was videotapes and DVDs, not too long ago, you know, you say to someone, go over, you know, to the DVD rack and pick out a movie that you'd like. And of course, every DVD that you have you don't necessarily want to watch. And so, oh, yeah. yeah, so they could pick out something and you go, oh, you know, like, I don't know, uh, a DVD which happens to be like a Mozart concert. Well, you know, you really don't watch that. You listen to it. No, let's go with another one. Oh, you know, some old thing. Oh, I don't really want to watch that. And that's kind of the thing that one of the girls I dated took offense to. And I learned that, that that's actually kind of common. And I saw that repeated a little bit in other relationships where there's kind of that they they don't want to complain you know they don't want to complain which i guess that could fall into you could confuse that f- with submission but it's not it's false not really happy i i if i may like you were talking about with permission him if i may dis i'd like to disagree just a little bit with something you said i feel that there can always be a language barrier because i'm not 
particular, especially with the language we're talking about, with when you're speaking to somebody from uh, one of the Asian countries, because there is a huge difference amongst our languages. And I was just seeing one of the that particular girl who I went to college with. She's a very educated person, but you know, just there is such a vast difference between our languages. You know. Like, you know, I'm no I know you've heard the poem, you know, like the plural of house is houses, but you know, the plural of mouse is mice. And in the English language is just a big I don't know, headache, as you I'm sure you know with all your studies. Um so well, the all languages are, and in fact British English is is one of the less horrible languages. It certainly has its quirks. But you know, there's no masculine, there's no feminine, there's no equivalent of German dardi das. Uh, and all these things you have to memorize with words. So it's, you know, it's definitely got its quirks. But I think English is a fairly easy language to to get decent at. It's a hard language to master, but I think other languages are hard to even get decent at. All right. I'll remember that when I'm talking to one of them. <laughs> I'll tell them you said that because I, I don't know what it is. It's Oh, my particular problem is, I mean, like, you are, you are a very educated, intelligent person, and for you to, like, imagine if you were going to meet and speak with somebody from, uh, let's say, Thailand, and they just grew up where it was just natural to spank your children, aggression. You know, you have a lot of uh, sophisticated, intelligent ways to express, well, this is just wrong. You don't want to do that. You want to negotiate. And just, I mean, perhaps that's not the best example, but... I feel like it, it, it's been very difficult to have an intelligent conversation with people, with these people, as great as they are. And oftentimes they say, I know what you're saying, I know, but you're wrong, Zach, but I just can't explain it in my language. And so it goes nowhere. It dies. Our intelligent conversation can just die with them saying, I don't know how to articulate in your language how to say that, how to argue with you correctly. Right. And this is right. with people I've known for, for years sometimes who've had a long time to, to learn this language. Well, maybe they're just lying. Maybe this is the, the conflict avoidant and they're pulling, uh, you know, they have emotional barriers uh, or, or they're just to think that you're wrong. But because they come from a non-confrontational culture, maybe they're just blaming language difficulties. But that's not the real issue. That's a good point. I never thought of that. I really? Compliant people? <laughs> Blaming language for disagreements and not taking, not, right? That, that never, it didn't cross your mind? No, I, I don't know. I'm a fairly honest person. I, so I never would think that someone would. But you would just, you just gave me an example of women who weren't honest and weren't confrontational and then years later say that there's an issue. <laughs> You're good. There you go. Uh, that's good. I'm, no, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying I mean, it just. You sound very surprised. I mean, maybe, yeah, so maybe this is the issue that, that they're, they're, they're disagreeing with you, but they don't have a way of agreeing or disagreeing in a way that strengthens the friendship. Like, friendships are strengthened by disagreements, right? Because there are two people in the room trying to, as we talked about with the last call, there are two people in the room negotiating, trying to get their needs met. That strengthens the relationship. It doesn't strengthen the relationship for one person to suppress his or her needs, right? Yes, that's true. But you that's you can't true. play tennis if one person isn't holding a racket, right? I mean, you, you can play something, but it's not tennis, right? Yes, there has to be teamwork. Well, so there's two people in the, you know, two people both bringing their preferences and, you know, and committing to win-win, right? The only sustainable relationships are win-win, right? The only way a business stays in business if it's in the free market is if the employees are happy and the customers are happy. I mean, you can always make the customers happy, 
by screwing the employees, right? Yes. You know, you really underpay the employees, and then you can really charge less for stuff that you're selling to the customers. And hey, look, the customers are happy, right? Uh, but the employees aren't happy. They quit, and then the customers aren't happy, right? Right. It's not a you good can long. make the employees happy by um, always siding with the employees whenever there's any dispute with the customer and by charging so much money that you can pay the employees a huge amount of bonuses, right? Yes. But then the customers go elsewhere and the business is no longer sustainable, right? Yes, yes. So this balancing of win-win is the only way things work in a market situation, right? And uh, so we know that and the same thing is true, uh, you know, infinitely more true in all relationships, you know, if it, and the only way to make anything sustainable is uh, through win-win. And I would argue that every relationship that is sustainable is win-win. And that's true of abusive relationships. Hmm. Yes. Uh, they're called secondary gains or, you know, the woman who's, uh, the guy who's getting beaten up by his girlfriend or, or whatever. I mean, there's, there's a win-win in there somewhere. Otherwise, it can't be, it can't be sustainable. It's All just, right. it's just, it's, it's a sick kind of win-win. Yeah. That's why anyone who's in a long-term relationship who says, "I was just a victim," nope, <laughs> can't be, can't happen. Yes, I agree with that. I've heard that often. I've heard you talk about that often. I I really like that one. Yeah, it's, it's like you, you go to a restaurant and you say the food is terrible. I, 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 I never wanted to go to that restaurant. It's like, but you went there every day for 20 years. You must be getting something out of it. No, I hated it. There was nothing in it. It's like, come on. Who you, who, who's going to believe that? Mm. You're rewarding them with money. Just like yeah. rewarding. Yeah, and, you know, this is where the women who complain, oh, I'm just a victim. It's like, but you rewarded him with sex. Yes. I mean, <laughs> there's no better incentive mechanism than sex. <laughs> Most definitely. Most definitely. I gave him sex and children and sandwiches and foot rubs and he just didn't change. <laughs> oh my goodness. How can people say this stuff with a straight face? Well, it's because people don't call them on it, right? Yes, that's right. I guess that goes back to what you were saying about non-confrontational, right? About being non-confrontational and just oh, let me just—I don't want to argue. I don't want to say anything. Let's—it's just better if you just do what you want, and I'll suffer in silence. But it's not suffering. It's not suffering because they're getting secondary gains. It's win-win. They don't have the discomfort of being assertive. Yes. Right. It's—it's it's not always comfortable in the moment to be assertive. Right. Most definitely, you're very correct. Yes. Like I—I don't like to order Caesar salads. I mean, I like a Caesar salad. I don't like bacon, and God forbid anchovies are anywhere near it. But I like a Caesar salad, but I'm always hesitant to order it because I always say, please, light on the dressing. And I bet they give you a lot. The reason for that is because I don't know what it is. Like, do they not trust that lettuce and croutons have any taste whatsoever? But they always give you this, like, it's it's Caesar soup. That's funny. It's like this vat of goo with some lettuce in it. So I'm always like, light on the dressing, light on the dressing. Or I say, you know, just you know, dressing on the side, please, right? Yes. So I can d- apply it myself somewhat more delicately than I know you're going to, right? Yes. And um, 
so every now and then they'll forget, right? And they'll bring me this Caesar soup that is like literally a heart attack in a bowl, right? It's like the the most dangerous salad that will ever be <laughs> be invented, right? Yes. And so every time I get the Caesar soup, which and again doesn't happen very often, but every time I get the Caesar soup, I'm like, oh man. <laughs> And anyway, so what I have to say, like, I have to make my decision, right? If it's really bad, I just have to say, look, I, I ordered light on the dressing. I hate to be a pain, but this, like, can't do it, right? Yes. Can't do it. I can't, like, I can't eat this, <laughs> and I don't want to pay for it. And, you know, they're usually pretty nice about it, and I'll take it back. Oh, I'm sorry, whatever, right? And now, if I said dressing on the side, and they, they, they drenched it, then I have to do that. I said, oh, like I said, dressing on the side, I, I don't enjoy the salad with that much dressing. I don't want to have basically a jar of mayonnaise and, <laughs> you know, a tomato. And um, uh, if it's, you know, so uh, if I just eat the soup, then I'm not going to have the discomfort of saying, I don't like the soup, take it back, right? Right. So I'm not a victim if I eat the soup because I'm choosing to eat a soup, sorry, to salad. If I'm choosing to eat the salad, even though I'm not happy with it, that's my choice. You agreed. Well, I, you know, I didn't get what I wanted and I didn't want to make a fuss. Okay, so don't make a fuss. Hmm. And then you you get those secondary gains. Hey, look, didn't make a fuss, right? Right. And this this perfectly fine. I'm I'm entitled to do that. I'm not going to sit there and say I'm a passive victim of Caesar soup, right? Right. This Caesar soup was inflicted upon me, and uh, I'm victimized. And these these bastard waiters, right? You know. <laughs> Like this, this uh, I don't know, some movie with Joe Pesci in it where they go through the drive-thru and they order food. I think it's one of the Lethal Weapon movies. They, they order food and uh, then they get the wrong food, right? Yes. And Joe Pesci is like with his, his highfalutin gay elf voice, you know, they always fuck you in the drive-thru. Yes. <laughs> Every single time they know you're going to be a long way away. They always fuck you in the drive-thru. Every single time, Right. Right. You're not going to drive back. Nobody drives back, right? Right. And it's like, well, then if you know this, then check the food before you leave the drive-thru, right? Yes. And so this idea that, that, oh, she suffered in silence. No, she didn't suffer in silence. She didn't suffer in silence. She successfully avoided the discomfort of expressing her needs. You brought up a really... You brought up a really good point. You know what I, I've noticed many, many times through dating? Uh, I've noticed this with, uh, with uh, dating anyone who was a foreigner, but I'm sure it happens with them too. Oftentimes when uh, you flirt with a girl, she's perfectly okay with it, and then all of a sudden one day her boyfriend shows up at the job saying, what are you doing? And I, and I felt I found myself saying, she didn't say she had a boyfriend. If she had a problem, why did she passive-aggressively tell you, hey, this guy's bothering me? You know, why didn't you just say, hey, I'm not interested? I find that they do that, that, oh, I'm suffering, or I can't say anything, they won't like me. Uh, you know what I'm saying? What? No, wait, are you saying that the women don't, like, they suffer not telling you that no, you like, have a they, No, they play, they play the game of how this, it's more so what they say to the guy, because I've been on the other side of it, too, so I've heard both sides of it, where, oh, Zach, uh, this guy, he's bothering me, he's flirting with me. 
well, did you say that, you know, you don't like that? Did you say you're not interested or, or any? Well, I don't, you know, they always say something to the effect of, I don't want to hurt the feelings. I get that. I hear that from my sister too all the time, not wanting to hurt anyone's feelings. And, but then they pass, they do something passive aggressive, like tell a boyfriend and then the yeah, boyfriend goes. And I don't want to hurt his feelings. I'd rather my boyfriend hurt his jaw. Yeah, that's a great plan. That's really going to make the guy happy. Oh, what a great decision that is, right? Right. It's uh, uh, delegate responsibility. Very godfather. Oh, yeah, no. And it's like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, I'm just so attractive that so many men are hitting on me. Oh, it's so annoying. Yeah, said no woman ever. Anyway, but, um, yeah, it's this kind of, you know, secondary gains. You know, you, the guy continues to. Uh, to pay attention to you, the guy uh, continues to do you favors. The guy, right? Uh, Karen Strawn has a great story about. Well, not a great; it's a pretty terrifying story. But it's about a guy who works in uh, in a restaurant. And he's got this crush on this woman, and you know, crushes should just be crushed. But that's perhaps a topic for another time. But he's got this crush on this woman, and uh, you know, he's she's doing he's doing all these favors for her, and. You know, in this this dogged hangdog beta hope that somehow she's gonna want to have babies with him because he's pathetic and needy and <laughs> is willing to do all these things for her, and she keeps stringing along and stringing along and and at one point she says to a coworker, "Oh yeah, he's totally my bitch." Hmm. <laughs> and um, I mean, just not. I don't know how common it is, but it certainly happens. Um, so yeah, I mean, a woman who you know, man's attracted to her. And uh, she can keep uh, keep him straight. She likes the attention. She likes the favors. She likes the cup of coffee he brings her. She likes these things that happen, and, and she likes the attention. And uh, I think I may have mentioned something about the attention. And and you know maybe you know uh, this this raises her market value with her boyfriend. She can push back a little more on things because she's got a guy waiting on deck or whatever. It reaffirms her sexual market value. There's lots of reasons why she might be interested in keeping that thing going other than other than just well you know i didn't want to upset him and so on right right so, right that's that's really good thinking. vanity and all that kind of stuff you know yes it's no you know and, and yeah it's just saying to someone no it's never going to happen right that's that's yeah. obviously the kindest thing right most definitely most definitely I've done that, but then gr- sometimes girls haven't left me alone. <laughs> That's uh, that might be a separate thing, though. Well, okay. I... That you I mean a girl has been interested in you, and you have not been interested in her, and you say, "I'm not interested in you," but she then what won't leave you alone? Well, yeah, I guess that is what brought me to uh, be a caller, is because you know. I've often, you know, I often meet, have met good people and they have a bit of a language barrier, but I've thought like what you said, well, it'll, you know, that can improve, but, you know, part of that improvement takes time. And when you put time into a relationship, you connect with that person. And then at some point you could say, you know what, this, you, you know, as you get to know them and as sometimes you get a little bit frustrated with, you know, just when you can't communicate with somebody, you, it gets kind of frustrating. So, at some point, you say, you know, I'm I, I'm really having a great difficulty here with this. Uh, I'm I'm just not quite interested. I would advise you and to how, perhaps uh, find sorry someone to interrupt. else. Uh, how assertive was your mother? Assertive. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in in to whom? To myself. In general, I mean, if you're assertive to only one person, you're not really very assertive, right? 
Oh, uh, you know what? That's a good question. That's I don't know how you make these connections, but you're right. She, she, Dude, I, we've been talking about your mother the whole conversation. <laughs> right? That's why it's been hard to focus on what the <laughs> hell you're talking about, because we're not talking about what we're really talking about. <laughs> that's good. No, that's really good. No, she's 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 uh my sister and I both talk about that often, about how um she she'll just say, "Oh no, I'm fine. No, that's okay. No, but she won't she won't really be assertive. Exactly what you're saying, saying like, "No, that bothers me. Could you not do that? Or when you do this, it makes me feel this way." Right. And so now that we're talking about your mother, does this bring some clarity to this confusion? I am not. Unfortunately, no. Are we talking about my lack of assertiveness by talking nope. about my mother? I'm attracted. Oh, okay. So all right. Well, okay. Since you brought it up, let's talk about your lack of assertiveness. I have a lack of it. Oh, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny. I, 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 you're saying I have a lack of assertiveness then? No, I didn't say. When I say let's talk about it, I don't mean that it's there, right? That's right. That's if we right. talk about you fishing, it doesn't mean you caught something. And just We're talking about fishing, right? But um, I think I'm pretty assertive. Well, hang on. With your, with your mother, um, do you find this frustrating, this behavior? Um, uh, per- myself personally, no, not myself. Um, my oh si- man, my that sis- is such a load of crap. Well, no, because for she's some passive aggressive, doesn't say what she wants, claims that she's not bothered by stuff when she really is, puts all the onus on the other people to solve the problems, and you're saying that's not at all annoying to you? Well, no, it is. I guess it's just more annoying to my sister. She not doesn't talking to your sister, am I? I'm talking oh. to you. You're talking to me, right? right. Uh, it's. I honestly haven't thought about it too much, uh, but now that I'm trying. Oh man, oh man, you are a difficult guy to talk to in this area. I'm. I'm not trying. You're very confused and frustrated by female assertiveness or lack of assertiveness and communication issues, right? And we've just spent what forty minutes talking about these things. And then you say, well, with regards to my mother and assertiveness and being direct, and uh, I haven't really thought about it much. Well, no, I don't think I would want to date somebody like my mother, you know, except that she's a loving person. But other than that, um, right. And what you said about the women that you date is that they're very nice people, but they're not assertive. Yes. And you just said this about your mother. She's a very nice person, but she's not assertive. But I don't want to date anyone like my mother, dude. Come on, you, you've listened to this show before. You've got to step up your game a little here, right? Well, Don't turn into your mother and make me do all the work, right? <laughs> no, no. All right. Well, then, I, do, do we have time for digging? I'm keeping you up late. Do we have time for that? It's, it's, Dude, I, I, you, I, you're saying, <laughs> let me ask you this. Do you want to? I, I do. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying then why, this. Why are, you, why are you playing both sides of the relationship here? I mean, I'm not your mom. You can do, tell me what you want, and it's up to me to decide. All right. You're the boss. I'll just... Because we now it's like you're trying to offer me a movie, right? Oh, I don't know. Do you, you want a movie, right? <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, so what's the question, please? I'll, I'll, and I'll, I'll try to give you an assertive answer. I won't try to dodge. Okay. Does it bother you when your mother is not assertive, but you know there's a problem, but she won't tell you? Yes. Okay. Have you told her about how much it bothers you? Yes. Then you were just lying to me earlier, because you said it doesn't bother you. No, I, I think I, I said 
that it uh, doesn't bother. I, I was saying, I was pointing that off on my sister, saying it bothers her more, but it does bother me. It indeed bothers I'm not, me. I'm not blaming you. I'm just pointing it out. Now, the first thing you said was it doesn't bother me. And I said, oh, come on, it must bother you. And I gave the reasons why. And you said, well, I guess it bothers me, but not as much as it bothers my sister. Oh. All right. Well, my you know, in- this is all recorded, right? So you, could, <laughs> you can play it I- back if you doubt me, right? Yeah. That's a court move. That's a court reporter move. I can have the court reporter repeat oh, yeah. back to you Let's what you said. Back, right? <laughs> Let's have it read back. All right. So, a- yes, it so you have me. told your mother, you have told your mother how much it bothers you, right? Yes. And how much does it bother you on a scale of 1 to 10? Uh, let's see. I would say about a 5. My aunt, okay. I'm not, I've, I, have, I have listened to the show, and I know there are people that for whatever reason want to dodge something. My aunt, <laughs> the reason why... I've never noticed that. Yes. Wait, which show is this? It must have just been one show. <laughs> the, I'm not trying to dodge anything. My honest answer is even if it does bother me at a 5 level... Uh, we often don't talk. We often don't communicate. Which, as I <laughs> as I'm talking, wait, wait, I'm, who you and your mom? Yes, yes. What do you mean? You often don't talk. You often don't communicate. What does that mean? Hand signals? You don't you, you don't talk to her at all? But well, you know, she uh, she works a very very long hours. We live together still, but she works very very long hours, and um, you know, so often like I mean, she just came in today. She while well, I was waiting for the. Uh, for my turn and you know she was she just you know asked me a couple questions and you know and I said I'm waiting here I, I kind of have to concentrate I can't talk but other than that we wouldn't have talked that much anyway and then she'll go to sleep and she'll wake up early and go to work and that's kind of her routine there's not a lot of time for for talking it's not because she right. chooses that I mean you could say she chooses that with her employment but uh, so they, I mean everything in life is choice you would agree right uh, not everything, but a lot of things. Um, how uh, how is it you're still living at home? Um, how? Well, because I I know that you didn't do this, uh, because uh, you know. But uh, I know because I've listened to the show. I know that you didn't do that. You 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 moved out rather young. But uh, said that you're still living at home. Uh, how is it I'm living at home? I chose to stay home and you know just save up money so I have more resources and more prepared for everything out there you know oh so you're working and saving yes okay actually what's your plan when do you think you might move out i don't exactly have a particular date i would like to i didn't ask for a date i'm just don't give give me time of day i'm just roughly i i honestly haven't thought thought about it i suppose when i have enough money can i give you a reason to think about it okay Hi, I'm uh, Stephanie. I'm your perfect woman. I'd like to know more about you, Zach, because you're hot. Well, uh, I'm 25, and I'm going to be indefinitely living with my mom forever. Oh, I think I think you've just struck me as slightly less hot. That might be a reason to mull it over about an exit strategy for living with mommy. Well, I, I have thought of that, of course, but at the same time, I, I'm really I'm trying to save money so that I can, you know, have a better future. You know, it's uh, like e, you know that whole EQ thing. You know, denying immediate self gratification so that you can have the greater goal in the end. 
Oh, wait, are you saying that living with mommy is self-sacrifice for you? Like you're delaying gratification? Like you'd really love to be living outside the home, but you're sacrificing yourself by staying in what I assume is a much nicer place than you'd get on your own? Not at this time. Again, with the, at pro, you know, and when I was, you know, when I was a younger, younger, I know I'm still rather young, but when I was younger, there is kind of, you know, you have that feeling of, oh, I want to do what I want to do sort of feeling. And I know you'll love this. I spent, uh, I had 10, I was in the Air Force, United States Air Force for 10 days and that kind of beat that out of me. So I was like, nope, I'm more than happy to do anything that you say, you know, that's perfectly fine. This is good. Much better and than what what's it? the story with your dad? Uh he's uh he lived uh it's pretty let's see what is his story. I don't want I'm just thinking because Well hang on. No, what I mean is is he around? No, no, they got a divorce when I was three. Did you know how I knew that? That was gonna be the case, right? Well, because I said I live with my mom, I didn't say I live with my mom and dad. No, it's not just that. No. I'm curious. You tell I, I don't know then. I don't know the answer. Well, you're overthinking a lot of things with uh, women, right? I didn't think I was overthinking. You'll, you'll, you'll hear it when you listen back to this. I say confidently. <laughs> right. And uh, the reason for that is that uh, you don't speak, you don't speak um, fluent relationship, right? Because... You haven't seen a relationship between your mom and your dad. That is correct. And so because, I mean, I, I knew this before I had a daughter, but she sees my wife and I interact all the time. She sees us uh, solve problems. She sees us negotiate. She sees, like, she's imbibing all of this, right? Yes. And you didn't have that, right? No. No, I didn't. Did your mom have relationships after you did? No, she did not. And I'm very happy she didn't, especially after listening to your show and learning about the uh, terrible psychology that goes into that, you know, man being with woman, then leaving, leaving, leaving. I've never got that impression that, a, you know, a man... But your mom has been celibate since you were three? Yes, she has. And trust me, I know she has. I... And you're, you think that's, that's, that's fine, right? I'm, I'm, it worked out for me, you know. It was good for me, and I never told her that she couldn't. I never told her that, oh, mom, sacrifice your, you know, last couple childbearing years so that, you know, that you can make me happy. I, I think it just sort of happened that way. Um, Did you get promoted to toddler dad? No, I'm, get, I'm like, the youngest. Stuff? No, because we, uh, glad I'm glad that this doesn't say where I live because this is it's, it's a personal information. I, we live with my grandpa too, so it's my mom, grandpa, myself. That's it, right? Oh, so now. he became like the new dad, right? Yeah. So he taught me, you know, he taught me a lot of. That's I think that's kind of what balanced me out. He taught me a lot of what it is to be like a a good man about you know going to work on time and being a man of your word and you know virtuous, honest grandma? things. What's that? Where's the grandma? Grandma. Oh, she died when I was three. The same the same year that my. Uh, Dad divorced my. Uh, so you my really mom. don't speak married relationship very well, right? Because neither no, I your don't. parents nor your grandparents could model that for you, right? Yeah, but that is rather common, isn't it? These days, 
I don't care what's common or not. I mean, I care about your experience, like diluting it into something that's common or not. It wasn't common for you, right? No. I mean, that was your lived experience, right? I mean, if you grow up hungry and then you find out that there were other kids who were hungry too, does that mean that you weren't hungry? Uh, no, it doesn't. doesn't take away my hunger. And your dad? Um, was he, did he stay in the picture? Does he, do you have a relationship? Not now. Um, we, we saw each other when I was growing up, like once a, once a week or so. You know, like we would go to McDonald's or something, or we'd go to Toys R Us or some, things like that. Little little visits just to keep him, you know, in my life. But um, and then later on, when I was maybe ten, maybe from ten to twelve, I I finally, you know, I I got him to come back to the to the house, you know. So instead of us going to like a neutral place like McDonald's, Toys R Us, I got, you know, I I don't know how it happened, but he. He was. Uh, he started to come back to the house, and we'd have coffee. He'd he'd make coffee and eat with me, and we'd watch TV, play video games. So it was more like a real. It was. It was. It was better. I think that's a little bit better. Actually, having him in the house and being part of the family, coming over for holidays. Okay, and what happened? I guess those details aren't hugely crucial. What happened uh, more recently? You uh, said not anymore. Well, just um, what the heck? What did happen? Let me just have a second here. Let me remember. There was like one particular thing where, just in general, he's one of those he's one of those people that um, he's one of those guys, particularly that I think he's he's a manipulative kind of person, and I think that's what kind of helped him to wait. As a, and your mother is not right. I'm, I was going to say no, but I think you're going to tell me I'm wrong, right? Maybe I'm overthinking again. No, unless. Wait, you, but didn't you say that your mother? Um doesn't say what she wants, but indicates there's a problem, but then denies there's a problem, and right, isn't that... I feel like that's, but that's like, well, yes, that that is manipulative, but I feel like that's more passive. You're, you're going, oh, I feel, you're my mother, I love you, I feel bad for you thing, whereas my dad was, I don't know, I think feel like my dad was more out there with it, you know, like calling up, hey, I love you, and this and that, hey, guess what, can you ask, you know, Aunt Laura for some money, we could really use some money. I don't know. I feel like that's a more blatant manipulative. Okay, so they're both manipulative. Just one's more honest about it. Yes. Okay. Yes. So that's what happened there. And I feel I feel like something... I don't recall the specifics, but I, just something like that had happened. I think like one of the... Pro, pro, oh, one of the things which didn't help was that, you know, he... My sister, she's doing quite well. She's being successful and he finally like asked her for money and so that was kind of like an insult like what are you doing asking your your daughter for money and you know obviously he didn't pay her back and i think one time he had asked me and that's where i think it was something like that which made me go you know what he does not want to have a real relationship so i i you know if he ever wants to call and say sorry and let's have a real relationship then you know i'm open but you know unless he wants to do that i no need to, you know, keep a a bad relationship, right? I think you would agree with that. No need to keep a bad relationship. Okay, and the 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 problem was that he was manipulative. Yeah, and I really don't like that. I'm not a fan. Which I guess I'm not. I guess I'm more aware of the uh, the blatant, more honest that because I notice that with lots of guys, particularly the guys that aren't successful. You know, where you know they get their hooks into people tell you their sad story and use it as an excuse and use sympathy. I'm not a fan of that at all. Right. 
Yes. Right. How is your how are you how is your emotions during this call? I don't feel too emotional. It's uh, you know, cuz we've been I don't I don't I don't feel, you know, I don't feel too emotional. I feel all right. Is it you know, I cuz you know, I didn't I like as you saw with my ACE score, I had like a 2, you know. I had a you know, I mean, I of course I had divorce in my family, but other than that, you know, I I don't I was hardly spanked. I grew up with love and I I mean, I even like I remember one time you you had asked a caller, you know, how do you know your mom loved you? You know, she did this, she did that. Oh, but she would, you know, this guy, a particular caller said, oh, I know she would do anything for me. She would die for me, but you can't have a real conversation with her. That's not really love. She'll do anything. You'll she'll she'll die for you, but she won't have a conversation with you. She won't talk about what what, what you know if something's bothering you. Yeah. She won't. She won't listen to that. Well, that's not real love. And I really, that really, you know, touched home with me. And I thought, well, how do I know my mom loves me? And I, I assessed it. You know, she she really went out of her way with different things. You know, um, am I giving too much information? Perhaps I'm not giving she enough went out information. Out of her way with she went out of her way with different things. I don't. Yes, oh, like that, uh, that's that's got to win like vague statement of the year award today. <laughs> she went out of her way with different things. Does that yeah, mean she dated like, gremlins? Actually, she was abducted no, by aliens? I don't know what that means. Well, like still, like um, I'm amazed at the level of laziness that that people have, and how she doesn't have that at all. Like like to like she'll get up at like eight like five to six days, sometimes seven days a week. I think she gets up. And she works for for twelve hours. Gets up really early, earlier than I would ever get up. And Wait, gets wh- home what are you talking really about? She's hardworking. Yes, so was Hitler. Hard. What the hell does that have to do with anything? We're talking about love here, not how much she loves her job, but you. Well, I'm, I'm sure she doesn't need that much. I'm sure she doesn't need that much money for herself. She's not spending much of it on herself. Oh, so money? Yeah, we're talking money. Well, yeah, it's it, it was more it was more important, I guess, before I was an adult. But I mean, she's been doing this for years. Are you kidding me? Tell me, tell me, you're kidding me. You you can't have this little insight into your life. Well, no, that was just my first example. Other than that, uh, you've she, given me two examples. Number one, she's hard working. Number two, she gives me money. Well, no, she doesn't give me money. I wouldn't. I I don't do that. Sure, I, she does. She she paying for your rent. Are you paying? Yeah, she's giving you money. Is she buying your food? Is she paying your rent? Is she paying your hydro? Is she paying your gas? Is she paying your other utilities? Is she paying for your internet? Of course, she's giving you money. Okay, I I stand corrected. Yes, you're right. I just okay. So forget about that. She works hard. Forget about and this is your topic, right? I wasn't going to go there, but (laughs) if 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 it's not about her working hard and it's not about her giving you money, it was it? it was. You mean you mean the ways that she showed me that she she loved me? Yeah. Well, she it was very important, which I know you would appreciate. That uh, don't that I, don't frame it. Don't don't tell me what I would or wouldn't appreciate. I don't like that. That's manipulative too. Just give me the straight dope. Um, I remember from like she she helped me get into um, like I went to um, a psychologist. You know, she, it was very important that whatever was going on with me, I was able to express and she wanted to know I was dealing with everything okay. And so I think that's important, you know, to. So she sent you to a psychologist? Yes. I think, I believe she's gone there too, of course. You believe, but you've never gone together? Uh, No, a couple of times, a couple of times we did, but it was, it wasn't like a, an ongoing group therapy. 
it was I had my person and she had her own person. It was you know it's it was it's a lifelong thing. It's I I put that in my uh, my message with my AC ACE score that throughout my life I've done that. I feel it's good to talk things out, talk therapy. Yeah. So she. I okay, guess, so she works hard. She gave you money and she sent you to therapy. Yes, yes, those what things. Else? What else? Other than that, uh, she did a lot of reading. Uh, if I if I'm a little disorganized, I uh, have to say I've got a touch of that uh, that Asperger's. Unfortunately, not too bad, but it's there. And she made a point of like studying how, you know, when you have Asperger's, sometimes you'll say something offensive, and you'll be like, "I didn't even realize that. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that." You know. And uh, she made a point of of studying that, reading a lot about that. And um, I went to separately. I went to an, uh, a group for autism for the, I mean for Asperger's, and that was really helpful. You know, to see other people who had it, like myself, or some people worse. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I could see that. That's kind of uh, not socially acceptable. So things like that. It's not too bad because I guess the therapy has helped me. I'm able to like you know, live in society without looking out without looking too odd everyone's kind of like oh zach's a little odd but nothing uh, too extreme and what is it like if you if you if you date women um how do they respond to this asperger's it's certainly taken me by surprise so how do women uh, uh well i mean i guess just a lot of people just never enter into a relationship with me i guess that there's sort of that sense of something's not right with him sort of thing it's it's really it's it's kind it's good to have practice. That's the whole thing. Is it's good to have practice. This is acceptable. This isn't. So through, you know. But you tell them, I assume, right? I I haven't actually. Not no, I don't. Wait, you don't tell. You didn't tell Mike, right? When you were coming in here, you don't tell the women that you're dating that you have Asperger's. No, but this is a full disclosure in case this is helpful. So this that's why I'm sure. Well, is it not uh, withholding somewhat important information from women who might get involved with you? Well, I mean, they don't need to know this in the beginning. I mean, it's not something... Wait, wait, wait. Why, why don't they need to know this at the beginning? Because it's it's you know I you know I don't have Parkinson's. I have a social. I have a, a little bit of a, a, a social awkwardness. You know, it's. It's not like I, oh, I have a history of, you know, beating women or, you know, I have a history of, of Parkinson's where I'm going to shake and drop tea sets. It's, I'm a little awkward. You know, generally, if someone wants to date me, they're already aware of this awkwardness. It's, I, you know, I can't hide it too well. I, I do my best, but it's out there. It's kind of like having a big birthmark on my forehead. But it, it, would, do you feel that you're withholding something from them? Um... I, it's not. Uh, I would say. I. I mean, when I think about it, yes. But I. I try not. I, you know. I. I would say yes. You could say that. But yes, yes, yes. I am withholding. But I don't think it's. It's one of those things. You, you don't. You don't. You don't agree. Like it's one of. The, I feel like it's one of those birthmarks on your forehead, sort of like where it. Someone sort of knows that you're awkward. They just might not know why. You know. I had no idea. Well, see, that's I, I do my best. I do my but like it, it's it, wait 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 hang on hang on. So you feel it's visible. I'm you know pretty good at, at trying to suss people out and all that. I mean, but but you feel that it's visible, but you hit it with me. We can't be both, right? 
No, I wasn't. You can't say, you can't say well, I've got this forehead birthmark, and then wear a baseball cap low on your eyes and say, well, people should be able to see it, right? Well, I wasn't. My, well, my original intention was not something that I thought related to it was, you know, about language. So I, that's why I didn't think it was relevant. It's not something I like to just go out there and say, hey, guess what? You know, this is what I've got. Right. Um, would uh, would um, one of the um, things that that would help? I mean, oh, I don't know anything about Asperger's, but I'm just I'm just you know floundering around. But would it would it be fair to say, Zach, that one of the things that would help with Asperger's would be um, um, more conversations? I suppose so. I try to do that as uh, as often as I can. I mean, like I, I, when I went to the the Asperger's group. You know that was really helpful. Like the, um, it's you know, if I may, because this is something I would love to comment on. Since you, since you, since I've got you, um, that 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 guy, the that um, the boy, who who sh- who shot up the the girls. He was on YouTube, and you did a great video. Oh, explain. Elliot Roger. Yes, I could I I could see he had Aspergers, and I could understand. Not not that not that I think that that was right at all, but I could understand what how with with Asperger's how you have a mindset like you know A B C and how his mindset was I don't understand I have sunglasses I have that I have a car I've got a BMW right yeah so this is what gets me girls I don't understand you know there's a very linear mathematical mindset that you have. And so I remember seeing that, and I wish I could have, like, you know, somehow gotten to his head. There is no, there is nothing like that. People are just unpredictable. You know, there is, you, you can't say that if I have car plus sunglasses, it gets me this. But, yeah, that's, I don't know, I'm not, forgive me. I no, got I, no I, I, I understand it. I mean, this, the input is good looks, famous family, car, sunglasses. Output should be, you know, giant bags of vagina, right? Yes, yes, and and uh, and you know clearly, like the people who thump their computer when the computer doesn't respond in the way the computer should, you know the world's not responding in the way that it should, and therefore I'm frustrated and angry. Yeah, it can't be me. I know I'm doing the right stuff because this is what gets women, right? That's right. That's right. So, like, that's I. That's a very good. Since we're talking about Asperger's, I could see that, like, how that was his mindset, linear, and how I, I used to think linear like that. Not to the point where I got so mad that oh, let's kill somebody, but like to a point where it's like I don't understand. I did A, B, C. Why didn't I get D? That that's what everyone else is doing, right? So that's so you know going women women aren't paying me what is owed to me. Well, yeah, I, I've, of course, from... from uh... I'm, I'm just... I know we're exploring the mind of a crazy person, right? But, yes. but it's like, you know, the, the, I lent the guy $1,000. He said he was going to pay me back. He's not paying me back. Is, is he not trustable? It's bad. Yeah. It is. So, uh, okay, but as far as I understand it as well, is there uh, at least some potential genetic component to Asperger's? To my no, I'm not a. I, there probably is, and um, I'm not sure how this happens. But often, my mother, you're my mother. She was a, she was adopted, and uh, I think that I'm not sure what her her story. She does. She is a bit socially awkward, which I'm sure helped her to stay uh, abstinent and celibate for um, you know right. the length of my life. Uh, Google says. Mike says Google says yes. There is a, a potentially. Um, 
genetic basis to Asperger's. And, and the reason I'm saying that is that uh, if there is a genetic basis or potential or partial or whatever, then to women you're dating, I think that would be somewhat important, right? If there's a, um, a genetic component to, I don't know what you'd call it, the disorder or whatever, then I think that would be pretty relevant to women you'd be dating who might want to have kids, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's and, and the reason I was asking about whether you know more and more conversation would be helpful is that if you're socially awkward and have difficulty making conversation and you say that your mother doesn't really talk to you very much, that would seem to me a bit counterintuitive, right? Yes. In but, terms of like things that would help? Yes, but I don't wait around waiting for her to you know speak to me, of course. I go out and have conversations with other people. No, I, I understand that. It's not. I didn't say that she's your only avenue of conversation, but um, you know, it would be helpful, right? Yes, I I think I feel that I communicate with a lot of people. I I really do. It's part of you know, work and life. I feel Wait, like. So I, are we backing off the social awkwardness thing now? Uh, we could. I'm just. I just thought. No, no, that was you're backing off. You said I've got the social awkwardness, right? And then yes. you say, well, no, I'm. I feel like I'm chatting with people fine and all that, right? Well, no, I think, well, yes, it goes with some of the things I was saying before that I, I have it, and the, the reason that I'm able to carry on some, to an extent, a, a level of normal conversation, normal behavior is from practice. It's sort of, it's sort of like, like a great example. I mean, this sounds so silly. It sounds so silly, but like I, it didn't help that I was, that I was being enabled. Uh, I used to, my friend used to play a little bit of jazz. And so he said, Oh, come up and dance with me, you know, one time. And I did a little bit of dancing and just a little silly dancing. And there was an audience and they're like, Oh, Zach, you're such a great dancer. So great. And I did like a little bit of a split cause I was able to do kickboxing. So I learned how to have good flexibility. So I did a, a split and people were like, Oh, that's so great. That's so awesome. Well, Fast forward, I'm 25 now. I was, uh, I think it was last year, I'm 24. I went to a club and this girl wants to dance with me. I did a split and later and later on, I noticed, I'm telling you, I didn't make this connection. Later on, I noticed every time I asked a girl to dance, she was like looking at me like, well, no, I don't want to be bothered by you. And I was like, why are these girls so rude? And in hindsight, I, I went, wait a minute. You know what I was doing wrong? That whole split thing. I was drawing attention. I was embarrassing the girls. But I didn't know that at the time. I was That slipped my mind. And I was doing that for years. For years I've been doing that at dances. And I wish someone had just said to me, hey, Zach, that's awkward. And now I know, don't do that. So that's, what, that's, my, that's kind of like how I have dealt with Asperger's, sort of a trial and error sort of thing. Yeah, or you can... Um you can say, well, if women aren't attracted to me spontaneously having fun, they're lost. Well, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't exactly recommend going to a, a club. I'm not a fan of it. I was a, it was a, I've gone to a club like twice in my whole life, and I wasn't a fan of it because it's like, hey, let me, let me uh, crotch and, and ass dance with this person I don't know. I can't hear their phone number. It's too loud. It's not exactly the place to find a virtuous woman. Right. So right. that's why I haven't frequented the... Uh, clubs but yes that is a good point i agree with that you know all right well listen um i i think that that's it for me and i certainly appreciate you uh you sharing and i really have enjoyed the conversation i don't really get any sense of particular awkwardness but that just could be because of the although the subject matter can be difficult for some so you know zach a, a, a great conversation i hugely hugely appreciate you calling in i i know we ranged over like a whole bunch of stuff but i hope that it was uh, somewhat helpful no it was i enjoyed it thank you for your time 
All right. Have a great night, and uh, thanks, everyone, of course, for calling in. It's always a deep honor and a pleasure to talk to you and the world about what really matters to you. And uh, I hope that you find these conversations valuable. If you do, of course, the usual pitch is going to be made, freedomainradio.com slash donate to help out the show. Sign up for a Wii subscription. Take some... uh, straight on PayPal. You don't even need a PayPal account. You can use a credit card or I believe a bank card to help us out. And if you don't have any money, no sweat. You know, share some videos. Share the love. Spread the word. That is also massively appreciated. So have yourselves a wonderful, wonderful night, everyone. We'll talk to you soon.